2: Paid for by the Detox and Treatment Helpline.
3: You guys, it's Rick Tittle.
4: All right, thank you for that, and welcome to another live edition of Titillating Sports. I'm your humble host, Rick Tittle, coming to you from the downtown San Francisco studios of the Sports Byline USA Broadcast Network. It's all very official here. That's right, this is big-time stuff. It's broadcasting in the fifth market, but uh, not just around here. This show goes everywhere, baby. Reno, Fargo, North Dakota. What was that horrible song? Everywhere, man. We used to have that in a commercial. It used to drive me crazy. Other than that, all our other commercials are great. I love them. 1-800-878-PLAY is the number you can call. Call. I'm getting all choked up. I'm so sad. You can call to participate in the program. 1-800-878-7529. Get it and get heard wherever you might happen to be listening. In this great land of ours, 1-800-87-A-P-L-A-Y. You ain't got no well about you, it. You ugly. Ashley Gavin, comedian, is going to join us on the other side. Uh, we also have financial experts because I know when you turn into my show, you want to hear about crypto and stuff like that. Uh, actor-director James C. Clayton, his new film Bulletproof. We'll also have actor, director, writer Ian Niles for his new film called Lie Hard. We'll check in with comedian Ms. Pat, who's at Cap City in Austin. And then the five-time Stanley Cup winner, one of the greatest goalies of all time, the Hall of Famer, Grant Fuhrer. He will join us as well. His uh, team, not that great. (laughs) In uh, three Ice. But we'll do that together at the toll-free line, 1-800-878-PLAY, 1-800-878-7529. Get you in and get you heard wherever you might happen to be listening in this great land of ours. Tune in app, iHeartRadio app, Stitcher app, sportsbyline.com, streaming along. Rick at sportsbyline.com is the email address do that. Come on back.
5: If this were a Reese's TV ad, you'd be staring at a Reese's peanut butter cup. And sure, my voice is peanut buttery smooth, but still, you need to see the peanut butter cups, right? No? I can really just say Reese's and you'll go get some? Okay, Reese's, 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 really working actually, Reese's, Reese's, this, I'm on to something, Reese's, 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 Reese's.
7: Seriously. Everywhere, man. 20 million songs from
8: 450,000 artists. iHeartRadio. Wins- I, I create my own radio
7: stations. iHeart radio. radio. Millions of songs. Thousands of stations. One free app. iHeartRadio is that easy. Download the app today or listen online at iHeartRadio.com.
4: All right. Thank you for that. And welcome back. 1-800-878-PLAY to get in and get heard. 1-800-878-7529. That's how you become a part of the show. You just just call the number and then all of a sudden you're on the air and then don't choke. It's national radio. Don't choke. All right. (laughs) It's always great. Uh, to bring in uh, uh, new comedians to the show, and uh, we're quite happy to uh, have her. It is Ashley Gavin, and she's at uh, Helium St. Louis. And, uh, Ashley, welcome to the show. I know your Twitter is AshGavs. Is that just a Twitter? Is that also like how you roll, AshGavs?
10: You can call me AshGavs. It's a nickname from camp, and now it's also all of my social media.
4: (laughs) So I never went to a camp. What was camp like for you?
10: Oh, super gay.
4: Um,
10: <laughs> it was an all-girls camp. I was in heaven, simple living, tents, you know, sports and stuff. It was fun.
4: So you knew pretty young that you were gay then?
10: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I never had a questioning period, that's for sure.
4: So did you have to hide it, or were you, was everything, your parents and your, like, surroundings, everything was cool to just come out?
10: I definitely had a, a coming-out process with my mother. And I thought that I was hiding it at school and camp and stuff. But every time I go and look back at some of the stories that I, you know, tell in my stand up or on my podcast or whatever, I'm like, Oh, you, you were just fully openly gay. You just were doing everything but saying it, you know, I was like, trying to flirt with girls and get them to like me and stuff like that. And but then if someone had asked me if I was gay, I'd be like, no, of course not. I'm just trying to have sex with Sarah. I'm not gay. <laughs> I'm just in love with her. <laughs>
4: you know, what's funny is that I, um, I remember Jessica Kirsten saying she's like, I, I tried so hard to, to like guys. I really, really did. Did you ever try or you're just like, what's the use?
10: Yeah, in such a clinical way. I We just had Jessica on my podcast, actually. She is so funny. I oh, love her so much.
4: She's a beast, yeah.
10: Yeah, um, she, well, yeah, I definitely tried in my own very clinical way. Like, I would be like, okay, that's a guy that I can tell is attractive. I'm not attracted to him, but he is attractive. And so I am going to, like, try and muster the strength to create a relationship between us. And then these guys just ended up being... We kind of just ended up being lesbros, you know what I mean? I, I think one of these, I realized the other day, one of these guys I really tried to get to like me and to like in high school, he just talked about other women that he thought were hot. And I was like, oh, he knew. He knew exactly what was happening. And in his own way, he was an ally. He was just trying to be my friend. Um, funny to look back on
4: no, it is. And then, like your style, the the backwards hat. Can you can you do a show without the backwards hat, or is that just kind of your a jam?
10: I, I, you know, people ask me this, and it's such a it's such a small thing that I don't think people realize, but it keeps my hair out of my face. Mm. I I do shows with without it on, but I'm constantly just playing with my hair. It drives me crazy. Um, and yeah, I don't. You know, I'm not gonna like slick it back and put it in a high pony so the the hat really helps
4: <laughs> now I'm a, I'm a bay area native so you know coming out of the closet or being gay is is rather ho-hum out here it's just rather like yeah, yeah right. okay but where where you where you grew up was it like that too
10: oh, i grew up in new york i'm, I'm oh, okay. a new york city native so it wasn't you know i think I think for everyone, it's really more about what's going on on a personal level and a family level.
9: Mm-hmm. It's really
10: hard to predict this is like very serious sure um but you, you never know uh even in the most liberal places yeah. um for me, it was just more about like internal internal stuff and not so much what was going on at school or in the city
4: right. Well, at the risk of making this entire interview about you being gay, which I do, Well, I
10: started which I, it. <laughs> okay.
4: <laughs> well, just one more question. You, you go to Carnival Cruise Lines and you tell them, yeah, I'm a funny comedian and I'm gay. Do they gasp? Because that you kind of were the Jackie Robinson of that, right? <laughs> yes.
10: That's what I always tell people. I say, I am the Jackie Robinson <laughs> of cruise comedy and I couldn't be prouder to both be sort of racist and compare cruise comedy to the great sport of baseball. Um, But, but, yeah, I mean, so they, the booker originally asked me, and I don't even think he works there anymore. So he was really on his way out, and I think was just trying to blow up the entire thing, possibly. Um, But I got got the same memo that all comedians get for the PG show, Mm -hmm. which is, you know, no sex, no drugs, no <laughs> sexual orientation, and I was like, "Oh, this is this is going to be interesting." Like, what does that really even mean? You know, to what degree am I allowed to talk about my own life? Um, mm-hmm. And by the, I think by the end of it, I'm not super. I'm not super sure whether or not I'm allowed to talk about this. Not in any kind of legal way, but just for the Mm -hmm. safety of my job, but since I'm not doing it anymore, let's just blow the whole thing up. Mm -hmm. Uh, By the end of it, there were certain chips that just fully let me talk about whatever I wanted to talk about as long as it was clean, Mm -hmm. you know? And I thought that was great. Uh, But then there were other times where I I was really, like, told, oh, you really, you can't even refer to, like, a girlfriend,
11: Mm -hmm. which
10: I thought was, you know, that's, like, is pretty tough to do Thirty minutes of clean material without even touching on your own relationship experience was that the, Jer- the
4: Jerry Falwell cruise?
10: <laughs> <laughs> and I think the other thing is like I couldn't convincingly be like, "Well, my boyfriend," because I think people would have been like, "Oh, that's Ashley saying she has a boyfriend is gayer than her <laughs> saying she's <has> a girlfriend." <laughs> like that's the most closeted behavior I've ever seen in my entire life. Right. Like, it, it feels, it feels homosexual to say that I have a boyfriend. (laughs) I don't know how to describe that, but it was just strange. (laughs) Right.
4: Did you ever have the guy who's like, I'll switch her. She's never met a guy like me.
10: No, honestly, I think they know I'm going to peg him.
4: (laughs) (laughs) Oh Lord. All right. So (laughs) St. Louis helium, you got a nice little, I mean, what's it like being a headliner at a great club like that?
10: Oh my God. It's such a gift. I have the best job in the entire world. I know some comedians complain about touring and stuff like that, but I have so much fun. And I know this interview was super gay, but <laughs> the entire show isn't. <laughs> I had to, like I said, I had to do 30 minutes clean, no gay on Carnival. So if you're like, well, what's this going to be? Don't worry. It'll, it'll be for you.
4: That's a double-edged sword you mentioned, though, because let's say you are a headliner, and now you've got to get on a plane every damn weekend.
10: Yeah, yeah. I I really do love it. Uh, I mean, yeah. maybe I struggled for so long, but it is—it is just a gift to connect with all these incredible people and go to places that I ne- i would never go to St. Louis for any other reason than to do comedy. I'm pretty—I mean, I don't know. Maybe I'm insulting the city. I've never been there before, so I'm excited mm. to go.
4: Well, I'm just looking at the 27th Cleveland, the 28th Columbus, the 29th Cincinnati, all the Ohio sea cities, and you—when you, you wake up, you—you're gonna say, "Where the hell am I?" Right?
10: It's already starting to happen. Where I'll I'll be like, "What city am I in again?" And then I'll, I'm like, "Oh yeah, 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 I'm in I'm in Omaha, the great the great city of Omaha, mm-hmm. which was also super fun. That was a fun mm-hmm. one.
4: And then tell everybody, just in case there was any sort of amb- ambiguity, the name of your podcast.
10: <laughs> <laughs> I'm a hack. I'm a hack. Um, my podcast is called We're Having Gay Sex, and it is a comedy podcast.
4: Okay, and you'll
12: learn some things.
4: all right heliumcomedy.com for your tickets make sure to see ashley gavin hey ashley when you're in san francisco come by the studio we'd love to have you
10: yeah i would love to i was at Cobb's; it was fantastic i'll be back for sure
4: great stuff i'm rick Tuttle. we'll take a quick break and we have some open lines so feel free to get in at 1-800-878-PLAY
9: Uh, that promised you those tales that do the part. I wonder if my parents will ever be a part of it. My
11: mom up in the night. I drill. Feel-
2: Pricing information, 800-915-9654, 915 9654 915 9654 that's
13: 800-915-9654. No offense, but are you a little fat when you look in the mirror? How would you like to learn the secrets to lose three to five pounds a week easily without joining the gym or going through any crazy diets? Call right now to learn more about your risk free order to Body Sculpt.
2: Call for your risk free offer. 800 738 5332. 800 738 5332. 800 738 5332. That's 800 738 5332.
0: Where did you get those clothes? At the toilet store? Great white under a trophy. Stands
10: proud, stands tall. Race caught upon the face. That was so big on his wall. He calls me brother sport. But he loves to kill his fun. And the power that he feels when he puts a trigger on me.
1: I'm so disgusted by Rick Tittle that I find him very intoxicating.
4: All right. Thank you for that. And welcome back to the program. To the phone lines we go at 1-800-878-PLAY. We have Christian in Texas. How you doing, Christian?
12: I'm doing all right, Rick. How
4: are you? Not too shabby. What's up, my man? Uh, nothing much. But I just wanted
12: to get off my chest about, you know, a couple of things. First of all... When it comes down to the name, image, and likeness thing for college sports, I realize now that we're close to a year since all this madness started when really Northwestern should get the credit because players are now getting paid because they spoke about it first. But when it comes down to this name, image, and likeness deal, do you think that over time this will probably get a little too crazy because of where some of these – athletes are signing deals
4: with what? what's the question again sorry i didn't get catch the question
12: i'm sorry but when it comes down to name image and likeness yeah that we're a year into this you think that it'll somehow get odd and get dealt like lately i mean like soon after because of where some of these athletes are signing their deals at
4: do you think it'll get odd, is the question? Um, well, I mean... Yeah. Actually, do
12: you think it'll. do I think it'll get stale, as in... You oh, know, get
4: stale? No, no, I think it's going to be the Wild West. I think it's going to get more and more and more crazy, because, you know, there are so many people out there that don't have any talent. And so what they do, like buzzards, like vultures, they try to... They're called agents, so they try to they try to get rich off of other people's talent. And so now you have a 17-year-old who's being courted by all these universities and NIL deals and these uh, backers, these consortiums of boosters and things. I think it's going to get more and more crazy, and this is what a lot of these coaches are concerned about, is that it's just the Wild West right now.
12: I see. I mean, come to think of it, do you think it'll get crazy enough to the point where... Let's just say one day somebody would want to sign a NIL deal with this network.
4: <laughs> <laughs> we don't have two pennies to rub together, so I, it's not going to be with this <laughs> network. <laughs> and, I, and if there is an NIL deal, I want to be first in line.
12: <laughs> yeah, of course, of course. <laughs> Another question I want to talk about is, and I know when it comes down to Deshaun Watson these days, it's a bit of a slippery slope considering what he's done and the suspension that he got. But do you think, if you've seen the apology, and I know that Dominic, your producer, has, but if you've seen the apology that he put out before the Browns' first preseason game, do you think that it was a half-hearted apology, or do you think that he went full-throats?
4: Well, you know, because I don't know the young man, I just assume it's something that his representation, his agent, his lawyer, and probably the Haslam family got together and just said, look, it would be nice if you did this, and then they structured it all together. Now, then again, maybe he was sitting on his hotel bed and he banged it out on his phone himself. I don't know, but this just seems like kind of a... Uh, a thing that's been set up by the team to put him in the best possible light that they can try to put him in.
12: Huh. Understood. Or it's just the case of PR, I mean, public relations coming in and say, hey, we need you to say this, this, and this, and just get it over with and sit out for six games. Mm-hmm.
4: True.
12: I mean, that's exactly what I think, but as for, you know, um, I mean, from my personal point of view, I just think that when it comes down to it, Deshaun knew he was in the wrong. It's just that the suspension didn't fit the crime, so to speak. But this is the NFL we're talking about.
4: Yeah, I mean, it's, it's one of the more weird things that I've ever heard about a guy who his thing was getting massages from uh, people off of tiktok and twitter and he wouldn't they 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 had all the free massages by fantastic masseuses masseurs whatever but he his challenge in his mind apparently because there was 66 of them was I, i'm gonna get this girl and then i'm gonna see how far i can go with her apparently
12: yeah that's just too much to deal with seriously but one more question I want to ask, and then I know you got a whole ton of guests coming through the pipeline. But mm-hmm. when it comes down to the major league baseball postseason, I know the Athletics don't have much to celebrate for because they're out of the playoff picture. But if you've seen the postseason schedule put out like yesterday, I think it has it going from October sixteenth all the way up to a possible Game 7 of the World Series on my 30th birthday, which is November 5th. Oh. And and I mean, to be honest, if the Astros go to the World Series, I plan to be a sloppy mess calling into the Astros postgame show. <laughs> but still, though, mm-hmm. when it comes down to the Major League Baseball postseason, do you think that, considering the fact that you know, this postseason will possibly stretch into November. That having November baseball is a bit too much.
4: Well, I mean, we've been there before a couple of times. Uh, it, it's it's a bit much when you're in New York or Boston and there's snow flurries um, or in Colorado like we had one time. I mean, it can... It, it can happen that way it's, it's also like when when baseball starts there are a lot of games in some of these places these hell holes where it's still snowing um <laughs> so you know with all these extra rounds and now the wild card isn't just a one and done i mean yeah this is something that they definitely have to think about but you know we just what we want is we want baseball
12: i mean is kinda unique, but obviously you have to play into the fact that if it wasn't for the regular season getting pushed up a couple of weeks due to COVID, this wouldn't happen or it would have been at least game seven on November first.
4: Well there was that it was that lockout thing that we were dealing with, remember?
12: Well right, right, of course. Yeah. The player issue.
4: You're right.
12: The collective bargaining agreement, but still Correct. don't mm. Mm-hmm. I mean, do you think that when it comes down to the postseason that let's just say you're an executive for either Fox or Turner Sports, you know, you're gonna have to find some way to try and make this postseason feel exciting no matter how long this postseason lasts?
4: I don't know. I mean it's a it's a possibility. Um I, I don't think they really think that far in ahead to be <laughs> to be honest with you. But it could be. I mean, it could be something like that, sure.
12: Understood. Understood. And I mean, to be honest, when it comes down to the postseason, I know that your athletics don't have a snowball chance, and you know what, Mm -hmm. considering the situation. Right. But let's just say, who do you think? I mean, do you think that the athletics will at least have some sort of fighting chance? years from now, even
14: after they move? Well,
4: every team has a fighting chance at the beginning of the year, depending on how much the the ownership is willing to spend. I mean, you look at a team like Texas that went on a $500 million spending spree and they just fired their manager, Woodward, uh, or Woodard yesterday because of the record. Just because you spend doesn't mean you're going to win, but the A's went out of their way to get rid of guys like Matt Olson and Sean Manaya and Matt Chapman and Chris Bassett, um, you know, all very cheap, controllable players, and they did that because they're trying to make a point that they can't win in Oakland, and they're getting their way. I mean, they're going to have, not only are they going to have Las Vegas, they're going to have Las Vegas without a relocation fee, which is... If I'm any other team that tries to relocate, I'd be like, why do why do the A's get that break and we don't? But it's all on a red it's all on a red carpet for them. The the president of the A's, Dave Cavill, is on a plane to Vegas every other week. They're they've got so many plans ready to go there and the, the, the situation in Oakland is just completely stagnant and, and you know, probably the fifty seventh priority for Oakland politicians. It's uh, it's very sad.
12: Uh, yeah, it is sad, but it's going to be even sadder for the A's when they have to play at least one season at the same place where the former Area 51s play at. Not realizing <laughs> they're not
4: going to they're, they're, they're not going to play at Cashman Field. I, I can guarantee you that if they if they do play uh, somewhere, it would be where the Aviators are. But here's the thing: Major League Baseball is not going to let them do that. They they did that. With the Blue Jays in Buffalo because they had no other choice because of COVID, but they're not going to—they're not going to have the the A's play a full season where the Aviators are. They're just—they're not going to—they'll find something else.
12: Hopefully so. Yeah, and
4: Cashman matters. Field, by the way, and people listening in Vegas will know this. Cashman Field is one of the worst neighborhoods you're ever going. Nobody wants to play over there. I've been to that stadium. Let yeah. Let me guess. North Las Vegas. I don't remember what part of Vegas it was in. It was just a very, very, very bad part. And by the way, Shea Langaliers called up. So there's a little bit of good news for you, huh?
12: Right, of course. You're but right. other than that, I know mm-hmm. you had a ton of guests waiting for you. I'm about to go ahead on and listen to you on the iHeartRadio app, but I will let you go, and I will talk to you on social media. at It's
15: been fun.
4: Sounds good, man. Hey, by the way, Stephen Piscotty.
15: Cut.
4: I'm Rick Tittle. Come on back.
16: While of Sail Talk. You will remember Tracy Edwards and the all-female crew that won the Whitbread Round the World Race in 1986, and the boat Maiden that became a TV documentary and was restored as part of a project to benefit girls in education. Don Riley, a guest on our show, has joined the Maiden again in 2022, and the sail I took on the Maiden when it was in San Francisco, A Blast from the Past, was an early part of the Maiden's world tour to visit 40 cities which is back on track now. Let's listen to an interview I did aboard the Maiden when she was here in San Francisco. This is Karen Lyle with Salesport Talk and I am sitting in the berth of the Maiden and we are in the San Francisco Bay and I'm with Courtney Coos. Good morning, very excited to be here today. And so, Courtney, you are a United States representative on this maiden voyage.
3: I am, yeah. So, obviously the original team, Dawn Riley was on there, so she's now based in New York and was the token American in that crew. Um, And I've had the good fortune of being on the crew this time around, so it's very special to be here.
16: So, what has this experience been like on the maiden? How long have you been on this voyage?
3: So I joined the boat in December, about a month after they left the UK. So I flew to Malta to meet them there. And it's just been incredible ever since. I've done about 20,000 miles on the boat. So the most miles I've ever done on a single boat, which is really incredible. Uh, Made it over halfway around the world now. So that's very exciting. And just kind of just blown away by the support we've received here in the States. I think for us, it's really lucky that the release of the documentary has coincided with a lot of our stopovers here. So obviously there are a lot of people that are really eager to see the boat because they know the history of the project and what Tracy and her team accomplished 30 years ago. And so for us to now be riding on the coattails of that legacy and able to channel in a direction where we're fundraising for our charities and really making it about the kids this time around is really special.
16: Is there any particular experience that you had on this voyage that you would like to tell us about? I think it's just,
3: it's very overwhelming to see the support we receive, received, particularly with kids, and just kind of to see the looks on their faces when we come into port. I think that's kind of the most rewarding part of it for us is, um, having the ability to just try to be the best role models we can be for these kids. And I think for me growing up, I was really fortunate to have a lot of strong female role models that really supported my sailing and supported my academic endeavors and uh, my career. I was working as a consultant in D.C. for a while. So I think was really fortunate to have those role models growing up and now to have the role to kind of be that person for somebody else, I think kind of makes it all worth it. And to have the ability to partner with some charities that are just are doing incredible work all around the world.
16: This is Karen Lyle of Salesport Talk. You can learn more about The Maiden at The Maiden Factor, themaidenfactor.org. That's www.themaidenfactor.org.
4: All right, thank you very much for that, and uh, welcome back to the show. Rick Tittle with you coast to coast and around the world on the American Forces Radio Network. When we hear that music, it's time for com with uh, Karen Lyle. And Karen Lyle is in studio with us with a guest as well. We have John Shannon from Ephemerile. But uh, Karen, first, I know you guys have to share a mic. It's a bit janky right now. How you doing?
16: I'm doing great, Rick. It's so good to be here in person back in San Francisco.
4: Very cool. And uh, John, welcome as well.
8: Thank you so much. It's awesome to be back in the city.
4: All right. Uh, so, John, Ephemerile, when I looked at it, it took me a second, and I think <laughs> I'm pronouncing it correctly, right?
8: That's right, Ephemerile.
4: Ephemerile, tell us exactly what that is, please.
8: Ephemerile is an autonomous collection of folks who gather in the Sacramento San Joaquin River or Delta to gather for a week in July to celebrate boat living and kind of party on the water bring our sailboats out from the San Francisco Bay. People bring barges out. Uh, There's folks camping, and we're just yeah, celebrating water life.
4: So you kind of bring everything together, kind of like a water world type of thing. I mean, (laughs) can you walk from, like, vessel to vessel and things like that?
8: That's, uh, yes. So we each have our individual islands, which are rafted up boats. Hmm. And different islands you can walk from boat to boat to boat. For example, this year I was on a sailboat raft where we had eight sailboats all lined up. Um, but we weren't connected to the other islands where uh, you have to take small craft over. And they did create bridges in between their different vessels. Like mm-hmm. There was a big yacht island that was connected to a blues house, which is a floating clubhouse on the water. Wow. And uh, they held musical events over there. Um, but they weren't connected to our sailboat raft. So we all have our different rules.
16: So, John, tell us a little bit about the art part of um, ephemeral. It's kind of like Burning Man on the water without the dust, right?
8: That's right. Yeah, folks um, bring out their art pieces. Uh, a few years ago, there was a really neat um, like fire on water sculpture. Uh, this past year, ex- past two years, we've had a pneumatic human catapult where we launched people 30 feet uh, into the delta. <laughs> um, other folks put together musical libraries. There's live music acts that come out. Um, and, yeah, a lot of small-type art things where people make beautiful uh, led sails that go up and down their uh, four stays and mass it's really neat
4: now what about the uh the popo i would imagine <laughs> that there are like a lot of uh they're they're coming by looking at everything's are you guys kind of a self-governing autonomy kind of
8: we are very self-governed and the, the police do make the round sometimes but we've never had any real issues um, the most they'll do usually is come by and make sure we have our life jackets on hands. If you're taking five people in a small dinghy, yeah, we should have our life jackets and safety equipment on. And they usually do those checks, but mm-hmm. no issues there. Uh, the most interactions usually are with the local marinas and make sure that folks are treating all of our neighbors with respect. hmm
16: so this is a self-governing self-gover- community, but very unique in that every island, which is uh, either boats or barges or houseboats rafted together, basically has its own rules. And uh, when someone comes onto a boat, the captain's rules are governing. Tell a little bit about, how, about some of the differences between the ways of governing.
8: Got it. Um, so my island, uh, I'm part of the Washup Yacht Club, and this, uh, which is a Bay Area-based, uh, very autonomous um, yacht club, has one rule, which is captains are responsible for themselves and their guests. And uh, within that, at Ephemeral, we need a few more rules because we're all there for a week. So we talk about what are our shared values. What do we want to do with our island? Do we want to be a party island? Do we want to be a place where we can go chill with our friends? We had nature tours. Um, That's not the same thing that other islands want. Uh, the Big Booty Island, which is the very music forward one.
4: That's the one I was on.
8: Yes, they're, they're, they're great. They held wonderful music performances. <laughs> um, yeah, they're more party forward and they will have music much later. Uh, things that Quiet Island, for example, is like we don't want loud sound after hours. If you mm-hmm. want to do that, go somewhere else.
4: So I would imagine, too, whenever you have something like this, wherever it is, there's going to be a few knuckle-headed ne'er-do-wells, maybe a youngster or some meth head who's like, no, I can now I can go wild. How do you sort of police those morons?
8: That's a great question. Uh, this year we actually had one very interesting individual who uh, at 2 a.m. decided it would be a great time to commandeer a boat, uh, pull its anchor, and try to sail with a towel over to a different place. <laughs> <laughs> um, he was to say that didn't work, although he did get the anchor up, so we had to, at 2 a.m., do emergency re-anchoring. Um, but we understood that he didn't quite understand what he was doing at that time, so uh, we worked with the medical team to talk him down, make sure he was okay. Mm-hmm.
4: What and, medical team?
8: Uh, we hired a medical team. Wow. To make sure that uh, yeah, participants were okay. okay. I mean, We're Very nice. far offshore, and uh, we want to make sure in our island at least that folks are taken care of, because things can go wrong with the water.
11: Mm-hmm.
16: So you're also located here in the Bay Area, and I understand you have your boat in the Berkeley Marina, and you have a boat partner. Tell us a little bit about what boat partnership is like and how important it is to choose your partner wisely.
8: Oh, thank you. I have the best boat husband. Uh, that's what we call each other. <laughs> uh, Glenn, uh, we've been friends for many years. We actually collaborated uh, first at a renegade party on the beach where we made a dug a hot tub and made like an on-beach hot tub together like we are very similar in our values and what we want to be doing and uh we've been talking for a while about i mean i joined the boat community in 2016 and he's always been more adjacent to it but we went out sailing i was like he really wants to go boating too so just before pandemic in 2020 uh we're like glenn let's get a boat together he's like okay let's do it so uh yeah two years ago we found a real fixer-upper and talked a bit about our shared values which are if we want to have boating as a hobby and something that we do but it's not going to be our life but it's still pandemic time great we're going to be fixing engines for four months before we can really get it going we're going to collaborate on like what sort of improvements we want to make so it's really about like what do we want to do with the boat and how can we accommodate each other he's also 6'3 like very large dude and uh, our boat is not that big. We have a CNC 29 <laughs> with maybe six foot head clearance at, at its peak. So, um, yeah, he struggles a bit more. So I want to make sure that I respect his needs on the boat. He respects mine.
4: A couple more questions for John Shannon from Ephemeral, Rick Tittle and Karen Lyle with you. I would think that, too, this would spark a lot of copycat things like, I don't know, in the Ozarks or somewhere else. Have you seen people like come to you and say, how do you do it? What should we do for our little dealio like this?
8: I know of a couple other communities. Uh, there's one in New York uh, that does much, even more renegade uh, on-water parties. Uh, their, their name escapes me at the moment, mm-hmm. but uh, they create like kind of DIY rafts where they um, in a lake, and then they commandeer each other's vessels and such. <laughs> much, much more piracy. Mm-hmm. Um, there's also a big um, uh, Greek on-water reg. Like, Rafta semi festival, also Pyrgia, I believe it's called, mm-hmm. and we've always kind of like looked to them as like, wow, that's idyllic because they have their big sailing yachts and they time all together. But uh, we haven't collaborated as much, although many of our members want to go hang out with those folks.
16: So this last um, uh, ephemeral that you attended, did you? Can you tell us a little bit about the larger art projects and also the one that you were involved in? sure uh
8: my art project this year was uh, chuck the human launcher which was a 20 foot long uh, pneumatic human catapult uh, on a barge uh, that we built in about three months in 2020 and did some retrofits this year Um, we essentially can we have a hydraulic ram which will lift folks at a 45 degree angle Um, we got a large compressor that we will pressurize to about 60 psi and launch people 30, 35 feet into the Delta. We have a rescue boat on hands. We give lots of guidance on how to... And essentially, like, it's more advanced cliff jumping. But um, essentially, we we're semi-carnies, where we're giving folks uh, <laughs> amusement ride experiences.
4: <laughs> Did you have people sign, like, little liability forms after the before they got in, or...?
8: We do a video waiver. Um, we don't think that a <coughs> written liability waiver will do very much, so we more have the social waiver, where it's like take a video that says you understand what you're doing and if you get mad at us we'll just show people like, you knew clearly what you're getting into
4: <laughs> and then i would think like you say each has an island do you have your own little logos and banners that you fly
8: uh this year we did we we're the clusterfunk island mm-hmm. um our top barnacle which is her name for landlubbers uh mandy created the uh, name cluster fungal for the little gross that will accumulate on our boats uh, throughout the event. Mm-hmm. So we had the mother cluster fungal, a really cool windsock, um, as our like logo banner on top of our mass.
16: <laughs> Tell us about the colors and shapes that you see when you're looking out at this um, ephemeral conglomerate. Ooh,
8: the colors and shapes. The first thing I think of is the just natural beauty of the delta. It is just gorgeous. If you haven't visited the Sacramento San Joaquin River Delta, just phenomenal place. Um, it's just long expanses of waterway with uh, rolling green fields. Uh, Mount Diablo is always in the distance. So you see the uh, like just purple of Mount Diablo at sunset on the water. Um, a lot of LEDs, <laughs> similar to Burning Man. Like folks come out and want to decorate their boats at night, which is also great for visibility. So uh, Big Booty Island has a, just a lovely um, LED light display. Um, on our raft, we have a like 20-foot tall tower with a green blinking light at the top. So, yeah, natural beauty during the day, and then the uh, Burning Man-esque uh, LED art and fire at night.
4: And then uh, I would imagine, too, that some people, their whole, like, raison d'etre is like, they wait for this. And then when it's over, they have to go back to reality. Hmm. So what kind of release is this? Like, for this is like their summer vacation, right?
8: Functionally, yeah. It is a lot of effort. That is actually something we talk about quite a bit. Like, you're compressing a lot of experience into a short time. So it is vacation. And you come back, you're like... Whew, I need a little vacation for my vacation. Um, <laughs> but, I mean, you just get so much living, and, like, they're always boat hijinks. Like, a lot of the fun is in the emergencies that you face. Like, oops, the currents have swept the boat with a very janky motor off to the rocks. Go rescue them. Uh, there's some, a kayak that is slowly deflating, has the amazon inflatables tend to do <laughs> let's go rescue those folks oh no we need to fix uh the various things that broke on our 65 nautical mile sail up to the delta um, mm-hmm. so a lot of it is the we're doing work on the water uh in support of the bits of fun that we have as well
4: got time for one more question karen
16: so tell us how people get between the islands
8: well my first year, which was 2016, um, I had a very hard time with that because I did not have a small craft. Um, we encouraged people to bring their uh, canoes, kayaks, hopefully. I mean, motorized dinghies are amazing because sometimes you also do like shore pickups. Um, but uh, this year we actually moved locations to uh, Mildred Island in the Delta, which uh, doesn't have the same current as the previous location. So people were swimming as well. So a lot of days, ways during the day to get it from island to island, um, usually just small craft.
4: All right, and how can people find out more about it?
8: You can go to ephemeral.org or find us on Facebook. We have a yearly event, usually posted sometime in spring. which should give more details. But ephemeral.org has like the history and uh, rough timing of the event.
4: There he is, John Shannon, alongside Karen Lyle for Salesport Talk. Tom, thanks for coming in, you guys.
8: Yeah, thank you so much.
4: All right. Thanks
16: so much, John.
4: All right, I'm Rick Tittle. We'll come on back on Byline.
1: I wish you would try and slap Rick Tittle's mama's face. He would clown you.
4: (laughs) All right. Thank you for that. Just real quick uh, for the, the A's fans out there. Stephen Piscotty has been released. Shea Langoliers, who was the number nine overall pick of the Braves. He was the big name in the Matt Olson trade. Well, Matt Olson was the big name in that trade, Um, but the big name coming the other way anyway, as far as prospects go. Uh, He has been called up, and it's weird because Sean Murphy wasn't traded. So uh, I guess he will catch now and then, maybe DH a little bit, play another uh, position. But Steven Piscotti, a kid uh, from uh, Pleasanton, uh, just about a a 15-minute drive from Oakland in the East Bay, same hometown as um, Brandon Crawford. And Sean Manny and the guy, but he went to Amador Valley High, uh, not Foothill. But anyway, a Stanford kid. When he came to the A's in a trade, <clears throat> he had just agreed to a six-year, thirty-three and a half million dollar extension. I and mean, Piscotti this guy was a first-round pick, and he was going to be the man. He really, w- <clears throat> he really was. And then there was the very sad case of his mother slowly wasting away with ALS. Till she finally passed, Gretchen Piscotti. It's very, very sad as Ace fans watch that unfold. But Piscotti was a guy that, you know, he was counted on to be, you know, that guy in the lineup, usually hitting about fifth. And, um, but it just has not happened. The last three years, he's just been really bad. Um, and so couple people have texted me. They feel sorry for Piscotti But I told them, Piscotti who's 31 years old now, and they're always going to go back to the Cardinals, I, who's going to want him? I, maybe somebody. I hope he lands somewhere. I don't know what value he has at this point because he can't hit. And it's hard for him to stay healthy. But this is one of the very, very, very few A's that was making any money. He was making $7.5 million this year, which is like, you know, a uh, – Juan Soto money, (laughs) what he's going to get. So anyway, Piscotty, good guy. I'm sorry it didn't work out for him here on a personal and as a fan level, but he is one of the few A's that has cash. I'm Rick Tittle. Come on back.
18: USA Radio
19: News with Lance Pride. With China as a top national security threat, President Biden's Commerce Department surprisingly approved almost all requests to export to the communist nation. It includes semiconductors, aerospace components, and artificial intelligence technology. Republican Governor Jim Justice of West Virginia declared a state of emergency for Kanawha and Fayette counties due to heavy rainfall Monday, which caused significant flooding that damaged over 100 homes, bridges, and roads throughout the counties. The storm also resulted in downed trees, power outages, and disruption to portable water systems. Over 20 people had to be rescued from their homes. Russia on Tuesday blamed saboteurs for orchestrating a series of explosions at an ammunition depot in Crimea. Armed groups loyal to Ukraine were damaging military logistics and supply lines on territory it controls, the Russians announced. USA Radio News.
20: Finding great candidates to hire can be like, well
19: An asteroid about 50 meters in length is set to have a close flyby with Earth today. It's being called 2022 PW and it's moving at roughly 27,000 miles per hour. It will miss us by a distance slightly greater than that from the distance to the moon. After getting a taste of working from home, Apple employees are being asked to return to their brick-and-mortar locations. Tech giant
18: Apple is trying again with the return-to-office program. Bloomberg is reporting that the company set a September 5th deadline for corporate employees to return to the office for at least three days a week. The company has delayed plans to return to the office several times due to COVID-19. Currently, it has a -a two-day-a-week in-office schedule for employees. Apple held an in-person meeting at its main campus in Cupertino, California back in June for a developer's conference presentation. For USA Radio News, I'm Kenneth Burns in New York.
19: Thanks for listening. It's well appreciated. We are USA Radio News. My heart was racing just making spaghetti. I could have waited to tell my doctor, but I didn't wait.
21: Brought to you by Bristol-Myers Squibb and
19: Pfizer. Britain on Monday became the first country in the world to approve a dual COVID-19 vaccine, which fights both the original virus and the newer Omicron variant. Moderna's bivalent vaccine was approved by the UK Medicines and Healthcare Products Regulatory Agency and endorsed by the government's independent scientific advisory body. The updated vaccine is expected to be available to adults as a booster jab starting this fall. The Iranian plot to assassinate several Americans shows that Iranian leaders have no respect for President Biden and the United States. Former U.S. Ambassador and National Security Advisor John Bolton on Newsmax says they fired the first volley in an act of war.
17: The uh, Iranian agents uh, tried to uh, uh, kill an Iranian-American, an American citizen, Masih Alinejad, up in New York two or three weeks ago. Uh, We know from what's been put on the public record that uh, I'm not the only former government official. targeted former secretary of defense mark esper former secretary of state mike pompeo many many others i might say and and including some uh, officials who are still serving so you know what this shows is that iran is utterly undeterred by the biden administration which is o- on its knees uh trying to get back into the 2015 iran nuclear deal and at the same time iran is boldly uh threatening americans i mean i think this is really when you look at the scope of the operation Tantamount to an act of war against our country.
19: Lance Pry, USA Radio News.
2: 800-754-4531.
4: Thank you for that. Welcome back to the show. Rick Tittle with you. we got another two hours. We know that Roquan Smith, the linebacker, wants to leave the Chicago Bears after failed contact tra- uh, contract talks. He put that out in a very, uh, I don't know, heartfelt apology about how much he loves being on the Bears, but he just can't do it anymore. And um, despite him trying to get out, the league reminded teams... Last night that any contact with Smith or any person who claims representation to that player uh, constitutes tampering. And the NFL said would warrant, quote, more stringent discipline than ever imposed in prior years, unquote. So stringent warning comes a week after Roger Goodell disciplined and lambasted the Dolphins for impermissible communications with Tom Brady and Sean Payton, who were under contract with other teams. This also comes days after Pro Football Talk reported that a person purporting to represent Smith has been calling other teams in order to gauge potential trade interest. Smith has reportedly failed to receive the Bears' permission to explore a trade, and he has skipped practice. He remains under contract this year. So Chicago, te- Chicago technically does not have to permit trade talks. So an agent or whoever's calling this mystery person, they're trying to find out who it is. But uh, this guy, of course, was the number eight overall pick in 2018. He's due $9.7 million in the last year of his rookie deal. He was all pro last season, a career-high 163 tackles. But, uh, yeah... No talkie to Roquan or you're going to be in deep trouble. Tune in app, iHeartRadio app, Stitcher app. Come on in and let's get stitched. Twitch.tv, how you doing? That camera's way too close. Can't help it. We're still on the broken mic. I love like Karen and John pulling the mic to each
9: other.
4: (laughs) That was good stuff. Two more hours of show. Come on back. Don't miss it.
0: Staples has everything for school at great prices. So this year, you won't go back to school. You'll be ready to move forward into art class.
16: A four-foot replica of the Statue of Liberty using elbow macaroni.
0: With glue and art supplies from Staples. By tomorrow. Right now, 24-count Crayola crayons and poly pocket folders are just 50 cents each. Plus, select lunch and backpack sets are only $14.99. Staples, we're not going back. We're going forward to school. In-store only. Folder and crayon offers and 827. Limit 30. Backpacks and 820.
2: If you owe the IRS 5,000 or more in back taxes, call now for a free consultation. Call 800-732-9635. 800-732-9635. 800-732-9635. That's 800-732-9635.
12: Check out Channel 9.
4: Check out Rick Tittle. All right, check me out. Rick Tittle with you, coast to coast, and around the world on American Forces Radio Network, talking all sports with you and the sport of finance. Let's check in now with author Monica Main, her new book from Waterside Publishing called The Lost Secret, Unlocking the Hidden Chapters of Napoleon Hill's Think and Grow Rich. Monica, welcome to the show. First, for those who don't know, could you tell us who Napoleon Hill was?
22: Napoleon Hill was probably one of the most extraordinary human beings on the planet. He was actually the godfather of, I guess, the whole forward-thinking movement, especially when it came to people empowering themselves. So as you know, he came out with the book Think and Grow Rich back in 1937, and I think pretty much every successful business person, salesperson, has read the book Think and Grow Rich. Have you read it?
4: I have not. No, I apologize. I was too busy playing video games. Okay. <laughs> <That's funny. laughs> um, but uh, So tell us, Think and Grow Rich, these are actually chapters that didn't get in the book, and you found them?
22: Yes, yeah, so two chapters, chapters 16 and 17, were stripped out right before the book was going to press. It was the Ralston Society back in 1937 that published the book, and as it was going through... To press, it was stripped out of the manuscript or at the last minute. And I have a lot of theories on why that is, but I don't really know that it's my place to go into those theories.
4: So, when you found out these uh, chapters, then you took them, and then this book is you interpreting uh, how it was then, and then maybe how we put them into business today.
22: So, in the book, I actually show the two lost chapters word for word. And then, yes, of course, I have my own interpretation just because I think people wrote differently back then, and it's just a lot harder to read, you know, a lot of publications from back in that time frame. So, uh, yes, absolutely. And it kind of seals the deal, because if you've ever read Think and Grow Rich, you always come away thinking that something's missing, that there's some missing secret. In fact, in the very beginning of the book, in the introduction, he actually says he's going to reveal the secret, and by the end there is no secret that was revealed. So it kind of puts a nice on the actual original work. So it really does go hand in hand with, I I truly believe that these are the two lost chapters of the book.
4: What what about what he taught, what he looked at back then still is poignant and resonates today?
22: It is in that people need to really focus especially now more than ever. I mean, he came in an era where there wasn't all the distractions. There weren't video games back then. Uh, It was radio. They didn't even have television at that time. And so things were a lot easier to come by, in my opinion, because you were able to actually focus, have a, that hyper-focus to get what you wanted in life. Nowadays, we are so distracted, it's ridiculous. It's like you can't walk two feet from your computer um, and you're being sucked back again, you know, some other game or some other app or some other something that's, you know, calling to you. And it's very difficult for people to actually have that hyper-focus. So right now, for people that really want to get back, I guess, in the seat of the horse, if you will, and actually take the bull by the horns and start a business or start some kind of side hustle to
19: be able to survive and actually thrive in
22: the years to come because things are not going to get easy, folks. It's going to get harder as time goes on.
4: And no one's perfect. No one ever bats a 1,000. What would be one thing that Hill you think maybe, not want to say he was wrong, but maybe was just a little bit uh, uh, peripheral with?
22: Well, I do believe that he tried to make it seem like Business in and of itself was easier to come by than the reality of it. I think starting a business back then and, of course, starting a business now is is difficult. It's not easy. But his whole business model was around his publishing his books. So I think the biggest issue that I have with Napoleon Hill is that he talks a good game about the whole realm of finance and starting a business, but he never really actually had his own business if you think about it, he was a successful author, which was his goal and his dream in life, so he did attain that. But he wasn't really a hugely successful business person, so I think that's the biggest hiccup, if you will, on his work.
4: Now, you yourself, we're speaking with Monica May in the new book, The Lost Secret, are a self-made millionaire, and you subscribe to some Hindu-based form of uh, wisdom. How did that work for you?
23: Well,
22: it's a lot of meditation. I do believe in centering yourself through meditation and visualization, and I I really do feel that that in and of itself is extremely valuable to me because, again, it goes back to just having that hyper-focus and clarity. Without clarity in your life, you have nothing. Without focus, you have nothing, and you attain nothing. So I I believe with the Hinduist-based religion that I grew up with that really does bring it home as far as just taking even five minutes a day just to center yourself, five minutes in the morning, five minutes in the afternoon. It's really powerful if you just take that minimal amount of time to do that for yourself.
4: I love your transparency, too, because you talk about three marriages, uh, time in the pokey, a lot of lawsuits as well. How are you able to persevere through all that?
22: I don't think you have a choice. You have one of two choices: you could either commit suicide and, and exit the planet, which is not really my idea of what you're supposed to be doing, um, or you could just power through it. I mean, I think everybody everybody has that choice, and you know, you either power through it or you, or you die. Those are the only two choices. I know that sounds really morbid, but that's the reality of it.
4: <laughs> no, I hear you. So, for you, what would be with this book, "The Lost Secret"? Um, what would be the key? the key point without you know doing a spoiler here
22: the key point for me is that i think a lot of people because there's just so much going on if you can do two things two key things and the, the one key thing is just to minimize the amount of press and media that you subject yourself to it's almost like a toxin uh... you know infiltration of your of your mind if you're constantly watching the news i know people that are just you know on the news you know, cycles 24-7 almost, and it's just like you've got to minimize some of that and really control what you're seeing and, and you know, believing about what's happening because in reality we all, really don't know what's going on out there. We really don't. Um, so to just kind of minimize that and then there, to really figure out what you want to do with your life, and I, I think that brings me to the second point, which is if you kind of raise your vibrational levels by just being happy, and if you do need to meditate, meditate, take a walk, listen to some upbeat music, just raise your vibrational energy, you'll start to get the ideas and the clarity that you need to be able to get into that next business or get that next job, your dream job maybe. Uh, just just by simply raising your vibrational energy, you'll be able to start tapping into the goodness and the things that you know that you deserve.
4: No, that's very well said too, and, and, you know, you, and you think about when we were growing up, we're about the same age. News was, you know, it was a definitely a revenue producing business, but nowadays we have conservative news, we have liberal news, and it's basically an entertainment industry. So I can see why that can be like a toxic poison to your brain.
22: Oh, it is. And if you do not steadfastly control what's coming into your brain, then they, trust me, they will be lined up around the block to control what's going into your head. Uh, for a variety of different reasons. They can control the populations better when people are fear-induced. Um, they could also sell more things to you when you're constantly out of control with, with how you think and how you feel. So there's a lot of a variety of reasons as to why people, media, conglomerates, want to control what you're feeling and you're thinking. And so you just you really have to control that and sometimes turn off the TV, you know.
4: And then we just have about a minute. What's the response been on the book so far?
22: It's been amazing, absolutely amazing. I recently did this show with PBS in Georgia uh, called The Main Way to Wealth, and it's just been absolutely extraordinary. And you know what the interesting thing about it is the people that actually worked on the production of that show, some amazing things have happened. They found their life partner. uh, They were able to, you know, start a brand-new business that's highly profitable. I mean, I've had so many different stories of the people that attended the show and the people that worked on the show that have reported back to me since I did the show about roughly eight months ago. So, it's, it's powerful stuff if you really want to control your life and you really want to get certain things in your life and you just don't know how to do it. It's a really powerful and amazing way to go
4: about that. The book is called The Lost Secret, Unlocking the Hidden Chapters of Napoleon Hill's Think and Grow Rich from uh, Monica Main, our guest, and Waterside Publishing. Pick it up now, hardback. Monica, congratulations on the book and uh, thanks for coming on.
22: Thank you so much. Have a good
4: day. Everybody. All right. We will take a quick break. We'll come on back with actor-director James C. Clayton.
23: Taking a calcium supplement, it's probably not doing what you think it is. That's because you still lose bone density with traditional calcium supplements. That's where calcium from algae comes in. Algae Cal Plus doesn't just stop bone loss. and start increasing your bone density. Call now.
2: 800-437-8217. 800-437-8217. 800-437-8217. That's 800-437-8217.
18: I am a non-attorney spokesperson representing a team of lawyers who've helped people that have been injured or wronged. If you've had a revision or removal surgery of a hernia mesh implant after 2008, pay close attention to this message.
2: That's 800-817-2968 Remember in the beginning when you first started to build a life for you and your family you never
20: imagined it would come to this Instead of living your dreams you're living with debt In fact, it's smothering you Call the Debt Helpline
2: now. 800-943-2153. 800-943-2153. 800-943-2153. That's 800-943-2153. Uh,
24: what kind of music do you usually
2: have here?
1: Oh, we got both kinds. We got country and western. <laughs> Tittle ate 200 chicken wings at your mama's house last night. Now, back to Fat Boy.
4: All right, thank you for that, I think. Welcome back to the show. Rick Tittle with you, nationally syndicated out of San Francisco and around the world on American Forces Radio Network. It's our pleasure to welcome filmmaker James C. Clayton to the show. He has a brand-new movie from Lionsgate called Bulletproof, which is going to be opening on Friday in select theaters, also on digital and uh, on demand uh, as well. And uh, James, uh, welcome to the show. You not only directed this, you, you acted in it. And I always think that's interesting. Do you like do a scene and then you just kind of yell cut while you're in the scene?
21: Actually, that's exactly how it goes,
4: <laughs> uh,
21: <laughs> which can be a little disconcerting to some actors sometime, but we had such a great team. Um, uh, we had a lot of fun.
4: Well, the first name that as a soccer fan jumps out is Vinnie Jones. And I remember him playing for Wimbledon and then Wales back in the day. And of course, he's made a name for himself uh, in Hollywood. Uh, Was he as intimidating as he seems?
21: Well, he's a very imposing person in real life because he's just so good. And I'm not saying that to butter him up, but like every take he did, I could have put in the movie. He's so impeccable at his craft. Uh, And he's, you know, imposing in stature as well. But I actually found that he was a very generous, uh, very uh, soft-spoken man, uh, you know, outside of filming.
4: This is supposed to be a white-knuckle action ride. I like that. Tell us a little bit more about this ride.
21: Well, I I think a ride is uh, exactly how it should be described. It's full throttle, nonstop. I wanted to make a movie that... Felt like the audience was getting shot out of a slingshot and uh, it really, you know, can be seen from the opening, the opening shot of the film, you know, we float down from the sky, and the camera never stops, you know, it goes from cars to guns to explosions, uh, right up to the very end where we're still moving. And so I really wanted that kinetic energy to the movie.
4: So you play the guy who steals. This is not a secret. It's in the blurb. You steal money from Vinnie Jones, who's a mob boss, and then, oops, in the car is his pregnant wife. So <laughs> at that point, he just can't, uh, you know, shoot the car with an RPG. It's very, uh, it's very nerve wracking, isn't it?
21: Oh, it absolutely is. I, especially, you know, she she basically leans into my character, the thief, and says, look, you know, I'm going to tell everybody where to find you if you don't help me. And I always thought it was, you, you know, such an interesting thing to have to, you know, take care of this, this pregnant person, you know, begrudgingly because it's kind of like walking through a minefield with, you know, um, an egg on a spoon. And I thought it would really, you know, amp up, <laughs> the uh the danger you know and the and the palpability of the film
4: no doubt so when you were writing this movie were you writing it for yourself or did you say oh we couldn't get Ethan Hawk I'll do it
21: Uh, Ethan Hawke would have been great in this movie I love him Uh, well I was I certainly was writing it for myself you know I I hadn't acted in a couple of years so I wanted to develop a project that I could build around me but uh, as much as I say that I actually genuinely was making this movie thinking audience first uh, thinking market first and how I wanted people to really feel uplifted and feel like they had a great sense of fun coming out of the movie theater
4: What would be, when you were um, going through it, maybe one of the more challenging things that you found uh, as the person who is in control of the whole thing and yet also in front of the camera?
21: You know, I'm not just saying this, but I didn't really find anything challenging. Mm -hmm. I was lucky enough to have an amazing team. It was just a lot of work. We did a lot of prep. So when I finally got to camera it was very easy. It, it took more, it was just a lot of energy in terms of concentration to make sure that everything was being covered because we'd be shooting with five cameras at once and blowing things up. And we've got cameras on drones running at the same time as they're on Segways and arm cars. And, you know, I, it, it was such a privilege to be able to, to be in this like symphony of chaos. Really.
4: I like that symphony of chaos. We're speaking with James C. Clayton, the new movie Bulletproof out Friday You may not be able to answer this next question, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Nine executive producers. How many of the nine just threw some money at you and said, make me an EP?
21: Oh, that's a great question. No, everyone who's got a credit on this film was healthily involved. Mm -hmm. There was a lot of love and attention on this movie. and, And it goes back to my previous comment about how I had such an incredible team. I mean, everybody believed in this project and I, I was really spoiled on this one.
4: How much of it is a collaborative effort too where you're doing a scene and one of your fellow actors might say something as small as, I think it's better if I stand over here or as the writer saying, I don't think my character would actually say something like that. I mean, how much did, were you able to sort of be a little bit uh, flexible?
21: Uh, I'm very flexible. I think collaboration is imperative on a film. I think you have to hear it out. I mean, as a director, you're really the keeper of the story. So you, you do have to make sure that it's in line with the, with, you know, basically with the thread or the heart of the film so that it makes sense. But in, in my experience, there's never been a bad suggestion. It just might not be coming at the angle that you want. And so there's value in it that you can adjust to make it work. So we were constantly uh, making adjustments on the day and, and it was my pleasure to do so.
4: You know, there have been so many movies made where the, the people involved think this is going to be great. And then people see it and they're like, nah. And you've put two, three, four, five, six years into it. So what's it like when people actually see it and they like it?
21: Oh, uh, It's an amazing feeling because I've, I've been in the other position, you know, many times. I've made a movie and been like, ah, oh, it didn't quite make it the way I thought. Um, and in this movie, it's just it's just real privilege. Really, I feel really fortunate. I was telling people on set because I knew it was going to be good on set. You could feel the energy, and even in the cutting room, it was cutting together so easy. I, I said to people, "If this is the last film that I get to direct, then I, I, I did it." You know, because it was it was just a lot of fun.
4: I always like bringing up the Scorsese quote that movies aren't finished; they're abandoned. So, how many? Scenes did you leave on that cutting room floor that you regret? And then conversely, how many scenes did you leave in where you thought, ah, I don't like that anymore?
2: (laughs) You you
21: know, uh, it's a great Scorsese quote. With this one, we actually did most of the editing at the script stage. I didn't film anything that I didn't want in the film. Hmm. So there were two or three scenes that we dropped just prior to filming, which I think were absolutely the correct decision to make. And then everything in the movie I'm actually really happy with. I, I think that everything uh, plays together very well, and uh, in you know informs the the previous and the the aforementioned scene very well.
4: And I know a lot of actors are hard on themselves, and they don't like watching themselves, man, woman, what have you. But as a director, you you can't have that luxury. You have to sit there with with great scrutiny for every scene, don't you?
21: Absolutely, and and you know, I. Uh, I like to give a lot of room to actors because I I have a great respect for it because I'm an actor. Uh, I'll be very honest with them if it's not working. I, I mean, on this one, you know, everyone pretty much knew their character. And, you know, in terms of like my character, I mean, I was playing the rogue character. So I got a chance to be a little flippant with myself and it actually translated on screen is and I kind of did that a little intentionally too, knowing that I had to direct and act in the film. Um, So, so, uh, you know, it's a give and take kind of thing.
4: Bulletproof to temples revenge. Is that being storyboarded right now?
21: (laughs) Well, um, I would say that the sequel is, uh, you know, being storyboarded or scripted right now, but I cannot give away whether or not temple is on the loose again. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I'm save that surprise:
4: and, and also, you know we all have to, and you know I have to do it with this and anyone in the entertainment or broadcasting industry as you sort of suss out yourself, when you look at your, your acting, do you think, oh, it was adequate, or do you think, "Man, I nailed it?"
21: Oh, yeah, yeah, I don't, um, I don't really look at my acting in that sense. Uh, I look at it as very much as a, a functional thing. So, you know, I'll look at it and go, does that work for the story? Not so much as whether or not that's a great performance, because I look at it as such a process in terms of like blocks that are being built into, you know, the wall. Um, So that's how I look at it. Uh, I don't really go, oh, that sucked or, oh, that was a great performance. I just go, okay, does it serve the story in this moment? And if it does, we'll move on. We've got it.
4: There it is. The, the movie is called Bulletproof from Lionsgate, and it's going to be releasing this Friday on digital uh, on demand and in theaters. The Blu-ray will come out on September 27th. You can go to hashtag BulletproofMovie. This is from Death Pursuit Productions and uh, written, directed, and acted by our guest, James C. Clayton. James, congratulations on the movie, man.
21: Oh, uh, Thank you so much. It was really nice talking to you.
4: All right, no doubt. And um, also, you know, when you make these movies and you think, geez, I hope somebody likes them, and then Lionsgate comes in to distribute it. And then uh, for me, it's on rails because they've put in so much money into the distribution uh, process. And then it's like, okay, well, I guess this movie is going to actually be something now. But, uh, yeah, Vinny Jones, I knew him as a player. He tried so hard to play for England, and they didn't want him. And then he says, I have a Welsh grandfather. And then Wales said, you can play for us. So he started playing for Wales when he was, like, 32. All right, I'm Rick Tittle. Come on back on Sports Byline. Who's watching? Tell me
11: who's watching?
8: Who's watching me?
2: four eight five six zero zero three eight hundred four eight five six zero zero three that's 800 life insurance is one of those things that just
6: about everybody needs but few people actually have hey if you die unexpectedly without life insurance guess what you'll leave your family with even a bigger mess
2: Pricing information, 800-915-9654, 915 9654 915 9654
13: that's 800-915-9654. No offense, but are you a little fat when you look in the mirror? How would you like to learn the secrets to lose three to five pounds a week easily without joining the gym or going through any crazy diets? If you're ready to start losing weight right now, call right now to learn more about your risk-free order to Body Sculpt.
2: Call for your risk-free offer. 800-738-5332. 800-738-5332. 800-738-5332. That's 800-738-5332.
4: I joined the Army because my father
2: and my brother were in the Army. I thought I'd better join before I got drafted
5: son uh there ain't no draft no more there was one
1: tittle always goes commando
4: Uh, welcome back to the show rick tittle with you coast to coast around the world on american forces radio network it's our pleasure to welcome filmmaker ian niles to the show he has a brand new movie out today video on demand and digital called lie hard from mutiny pictures he's directed it he wrote it he acted in it and ian i guess that's a double edged sword you get to do everything but then if you screw up it's all on you right
24: yeah, it's all it's all on me.
4: Now this <laughs> this is a comedy. Tell us a little bit about the premise, please.
24: All right. So the movie is about this guy who's a pathological liar, and he borrows millions of dollars from the mob to buy an impre- uh, to buy a mansion to impress his girlfriend.
4: <laughs> Does he have any idea how he's going to pay it back?
24: Oh no! I mean that's the whole like the, the, that's the whole movie. Like the the mob did this to him because they wanted him to do something else. So he didn't realize what he was getting into.
4: So his girlfriend is kind of out of his league and he's trying to hold on to her, right?
24: Oh, definitely, definitely out of his league. That's why he's willing to do anything to keep her. Um, And one of the first scenes of the movie, um, he's meeting her parents for the first time who are, they're very wealthy. And he cracks a bunch of jokes that make him look really bad. And then the dad's like, hey, you're not good enough for my daughter.
4: So how much of this uh, did you write for... I mean, was this whole thing written for yourself or were you, did you have somebody else in mind?
24: No, so I mean, the main character's name is Rob. I originally wrote it for Rob Schneider. Oh. Uh, and then I realized that this movie would be way too crazy uh, to make with him on the budget that I had. So well, I was like, what's the easiest thing I could do? I could be in it.
4: He's also 60, too. Yeah. So let's talk about that girl out of your league, the lovely and talented Melanie Chandra.:
24: Yeah, she was awesome. She was the first person that we, that we signed on. Um, and yeah, I couldn't think of anyone more perfect for the part than her.
4: No, she's absolutely stunning. But what about comedic timing? because sometimes you know it's hard to kind to, for serious actors to, to get into that comedy uh, role, right?
24: Well, I think that's what makes it so funny. So her being serious, um, the character that I play is very serious, and that's really what's funny because he's just on fire the whole time.
4: Mm -hmm. So when did you um, Mm
24: come... And then also there's these two thugs that he ends up meeting, uh, who's played by Joel Marsh Garland and uh, Chris Jarrell, and they're both uh, uh, stand-up comedians. And it's them two and him on fire that make so many situations that are really funny.
4: So when did you come up with the idea of the script, and how, how did you tweak it over the months?
24: All right, so it's a funny story. My creative partner, um, his grandfather, um, had this wild story that he bought a house and that they kept telling him that there were money hidden in the walls. So that was like this main, and that is the B story of this movie. Mm-hmm. So he so my friend was like, "Hey, I got this idea. Like I really want to make this." And I'm just like, "Eh, it's it's if I don't really want to just make a movie about money hitting the walls." But he kept poking me and I'm like, "All right, dude. I'll make this movie if you can find a mansion for us to film in." 5 hours later, he calls me up. He's like, "Hey, man, I found this mansion."
4: <laughs> Where did he get so it? I was
24: like, "All right, I guess I got to I got to make it." Um but then we we completely rewrote it from that to what it is today. Mhm.
4: And then, of course, when you, you know, I've asked, asked actors who direct their own things, so you're in it, and then you got to yell cut, and then you got to run around and look at the, the, uh, the dailies, whatever. How, how hard is that to wear so many hats?
24: Um, so the thing is, my character, too, he's mostly reacting. Um, so I just need to live in the moment of, like, it's, it's just thinking those thoughts. It's like, oh, my God, my, 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 my world's over. So, it's less me being, having to rely on the lines and all that.
4: <laughs> and, uh. I um,
24: mean, also, I have this tool that lets me see the, all the monitors on my phone. Oh, wow. So I don't have to keep going back to the monitor to replay it. They're able to do it right there.
4: Wow, I've never heard of that one. Uh, you get stabbed in the leg on this, too, right?
24: Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, um. That, um. The mob boss is played by Catherine Curtin, and she was amazing. She was in uh, Stranger Things, Orange is the New Black.
4: Mm-hmm. So how many of uh, the collaborative effort, how many, you know, especially when you think about stand-ups, thinking on their feet, how many things were sort of just added in? Like, hey, wouldn't it be funnier if we did this?
12: So there's this scene
24: where Rob kind of like, everything's burning. Like, he's, he's, he's given up, and he goes to... Uh, his pool and he like tries to like kind of drown himself and the the two thugs that he's with uh joel and chris um while rob's like drowning in the pool they have this whole conversation and that whole conversation was improvised Hmm. they're like does he have a snorkel like what and they're just like making fun of him not realizing what's going on they're like he can really hold his breath for a long time
4: (laughs) so uh and and it stayed in the movie
24: Oh, the whole thing stayed in the movie because I was going to do this whole thing where I had to get a camera under the water, like show his face, and instead, made, what they said was so funny that I just stuck on them. What oh, would this guy's like in the pool for like two minutes?
4: If you had like three to five minutes to show your favorite part of the movie, what would it be?
24: Oh, my favorite part of the movie, um, probably the hmm. so that he actually does destroy his mansion trying to find the money um and that's probably my favorite part because we actually did it practically so um so it took me a couple of months to try and find a mansion that was actually being demolished Mm. and then what's funny is the mansion that we got after we already destroyed it i got a phone call two weeks later from the guy that owned it and was like hey can you actually not destroy it i'm thinking about selling it as is (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I was like, "Oh my god, like we just like destroyed every wall." <laughs>
4: <laughs> so, how do you go about doing that? Is just whoever your your site location people just they they just comb the internet for mansions that need to get knocked down?
12: No, so what
24: makes this movie I think unique is that we shot it in pieces. Mm-hmm. Um, so it allowed me to really be uh resourceful with the the budget.
4: Mm-hmm.
24: Uh, so we shot, it over, we shot 30 days over six months. Wow. And that's also why I was able to get such a good cast, because I was really flexible uh, on their schedule. Like Catherine, she was like, oh, dude, I love this script, but I'm filming for the next three months. And I'm like, not a problem. We'll shoot your scene in three months.
4: No, that's great. Tell us a little bit about Millenniums on Amazon.
24: Oh, Millenniums? Um, So that's like the first project I ever made. Uh, I really can think of it as like my film school because I learned how to do everything on that show. It's kind of a mixture of it's always sunny and Seinfeld mixed together.
4: Well, that's that's high praise, yeah. Um, I like how you got pitched to us. Uh, Your PR company said that you were the perfect guest with the perfect film. That's a lot to live with. Well, to, I'll huh? thank you
24: for that. <laughs> That's a nice compliment.
4: All right. So, uh, as I mentioned uh, from Mutiny Pictures, how do people, it's out today, how do people get their hands on Lie Hard?
24: So, it's on Amazon, iTunes, Voodoo, your cable provider. Um, and also, if you go to mystupidmovie.com, uh, it'll bring you right to the Amazon page.
4: <laughs> there he is, Ian Niles, Lie Hard. Thanks for coming on and congratulations on the film, man.
24: Thank you so much for having me.
4: All right, no doubt. 1-800-878-PLAY if you'd like to chime in. Uh, interesting little blurb from the golf world. Because while Tiger Woods will not be participating in the FedEx Cup playoffs, he definitely will have his presence felt today. If not, it already happened at the Wilmington Country Club. Because he was supposed to fly in today and lead a meeting of the top 20 players in the world, at least the ones that are there, some of the most influential figures uh, in the game uh, as well. And um, he is going to be um, just giving his support to the PGA in their fight against the rivals Live Golf and the... This is, of course, the side of the BMW Championship. That's the second FedEx playoff event, and it will follow a PGA Tour player advisor council meeting, which will introduce Max Homa, Cal Bear, former title guest, Brant Snedeker, Keith Mitchell, Kevin Streelman. They are replacing the previous members, Brooks Kepka, Graham McDowell, and Paul Gacy, who all deflected to the Saudi Tour, as I call it. And a player attending the meeting told ESPN, quote, it's a meeting to get the top 20 players in the world on the same page on how we can continue to make the PGA Tour the best product in professional golf. So it'll be very interesting to see what's going to be on the table right now. But some of the biggest critics of Live Golf have been Rory McIlroy, Justin Thomas, Billy Horschel. But Woods really hasn't said too much. He just said it at St. Andrews. He said, I disagree with it. And um, he said, I don't like people turning their back on what got them into this position, which is uh, very interesting. Um, But uh, anyway, I mean, this is, if you think about recent weeks as Cameron Smith has been linked to golf, the champion golfer of the year, and he withdrew yesterday saying that his hip wasn't feeling well and everybody thinks, oh, no, he's going. If you think about other champions, major champions, to live. Dustin Johnson, Brooks Kepka, Bryson DeChambeau, Patrick Reed, Phil Mickelson, Sergio Garcia, Martin Keimer, Graham McDowell, Louis Oshhausen, Henrik Stenson. It's all there. All right. Um, the uh, email of the day from Jeremy. Jeremy, you have won Jurassic World Dominion. Bring home Jurassic World Dominion boasting 14 minutes of never-before-seen footage and alternate opening, more dinosaurs, and more action. Two worlds collide as the epic saga that began with Jurassic Park comes to a grand conclusion. Jurassic World Dominion takes place four years after Isla Nublar's destruction when dinosaurs roam the Earth again. Facing the cataclysmic consequences of a planet once again dominated by prehistoric predators, two generations of Jurassic heroes unite for an incredible adventure that will determine the destiny of humans and dinosaurs once and for all. all. Starring Chris Pratt, Bryce Dallas Howard, Sam Neill, Jeff Goldblum, former Tittle guest, and Laura Dern, Jurassic World Dominion is available to own on digital and Blu-ray out today. And this is from Universal Home Pictures Entertainment. And this is Blu-ray plus DVD plus digital code. It's the extended edition, includes two versions of the movie. Once again, from Universal Pictures Home Entertainment, Jurassic World Dominion. Congratulations, Jeremy. We will take a quick break, and we will come on back on Sports Bilox.
15: business heals all
5: wounds. I mean, look at our relationship with Germany or Japan. Who can even remember what all the fuss was about?
1: Tittle, you done broke my heart, but I still take you back. You hella fine.
4: All right, uh, a couple minutes left in hour number two. We know that Fernando Tatis has been suspended eighty games for violating Major League Baseball's joint drug agreement. It's always funny the word "joint" is in there. To hear Tatis tell it, he unintentionally ingested a banned substance in an effort to treat a case of a ringworm. But his dad, Fernando Tatis Senior. He was on TV in the Dominican Republic about it. He said, this is a catastrophe what has taken place, not just for Junior, but for all of baseball. There are millions of fans who are going to stop watching baseball now. It's a total disappointment for Dominican fans, fans throughout the world, for something so insignificant that wasn't worth it. It's a topical What came out positive in Junior's body is something that doesn't give you strength, first of all, doesn't amplify your weight training regimen, that's second, doesn't have any testosterone, that's third, doesn't contain anything absolutely that would give you an edge in this game, and what has occurred is an absolute catastrophe for all baseball, unquote. Well, catastrophe is a strong word, and I don't think millions will tune out. But apparently, Tatis Jr. is going to go in front of his teammates and try to apologize and say, hey, please try to win a World Series without me. Yikes. All right, we got another hour together. We got Tom Viola, Pat, uh, we have an open segment, and then we have Grant Fuhrer. So come on back.
18: USA Radio
19: News with Lance Pride. With China as a top national security threat, President Biden's Commerce Department surprisingly approved almost all requests to export to the communist nation. It includes semiconductors, aerospace components, and artificial intelligence technology. Republican Governor Jim Justice of West Virginia declared a state of emergency for Kanawha and Fayette counties due to heavy rainfall Monday, which caused significant flooding that damaged over 100 homes, bridges, and roads throughout the counties. The storm also resulted in downed trees, power outages, and disruption to portable water systems. Over 20 people had to be rescued from their homes. Russia on Tuesday blamed saboteurs for orchestrating a series of explosions at an ammunition depot in Crimea. Armed groups loyal to Ukraine were damaging military logistics and supply lines on territory it controls, the Russians announced. USA Radio News.
20: Finding great candidates to hire can be like, well
19: an asteroid about 50 meters in length is set to have a close flyby with Earth today it's being called 2022 PW and it's moving at roughly 27,000 miles per hour it will miss us by a distance slightly greater than that from the distance to the moon after getting a taste of working from home Apple employees are being asked to return to their brick-and-mortar locations. Tech giant
18: Apple is trying again with the return-to-office program. Bloomberg is reporting that the company set a September 5th deadline for corporate employees to return to the office for at least three days a week. The company has delayed plans to return to the office several times due to COVID-19. Currently, it has a -a two-day-a-week in-office schedule for employees. Apple held an in-person meeting at its main campus in Cupertino, California back in June for a Developers Conference presentation. For USA Radio News, I'm Kenneth Burns in New York.
19: Thanks for listening. It's well appreciated. We are USA Radio News. My heart was racing just making spaghetti. I could have waited to tell my doctor, but I didn't wait.
21: Brought to you by Bristol-Myers Squibb and
19: Pfizer. Britain on Monday became the first country in the world to approve a dual COVID-19 vaccine, which fights both the original virus and the newer Omicron variant. Moderna's bivalent vaccine was approved by the UK Medicines and Healthcare Products Regulatory Agency and endorsed by the government's independent scientific advisory body. The updated vaccine is expected to be available to adults as a booster jab starting this fall. The Iranian plot to assassinate several Americans shows that Iranian leaders have no respect for President Biden and the United States. Former U.S. Ambassador and National Security Advisor John Bolton on Newsmax says they fired the first volley in an act of war.
17: The uh, Iranian agents uh, tried to uh, uh, kill a, an Iranian-American, an American citizen, Masih Alinejad, up in New York two or three weeks ago. Uh, we know from what's been put on the public record that uh, I'm not the only former government official to targeted former secretary of defense mark esper former secretary of state mike pompeo many many others i might say and and including some uh, officials who are still serving so you know what this shows is that iran is utterly undeterred by the biden administration which is o- on its knees uh trying to get back into the 2015 iran nuclear deal and at the same time iran is boldly uh threatening americans i mean i think this is really when you look at the scope of the operation Tantamount to an act of war against our country.
19: Lance Pry, USA Radio News.
6: Do you have Medicare, and do you use a CPAP machine?
4: 1-800-878-PLAY. You know, I thought it was interesting the other day when Aaron Rodgers says, what's the point of playing one series in preseason? There's nothing that can be gained from it. And I agree, it's just to make the people who bought a ticket not feel as dumb as they already feel, I guess. But the Steelers have had both... Uh, have had two veterans ruled out for the year today. One is the former Raider first-round pick Carl Joseph, who hurt his ankle, and the wide receiver Anthony Miller hurt his shoulder. And uh, Joseph was carted off the field against the Seahawks in their uh, first preseason game. And then uh, he said it's day... uh, Tomlin said it was day-to-day. No, he's out. And then also in that game, Miller hurt his shoulder, and uh, he's out. This is a guy who has had shoulder injuries also with the Bears and Houston. He's got some kind of shoulder thing going on. When he's on the freeway, he drives on the fast lane. Oh, I thought you were going to say shoulder, Rick. But um, Carl Joseph was going to play. Miller looked like he was going to make the roster, but you know, this is why these preseason games, we only have three now, but it's a—it's uh, it, something that uh, there is always going to be a little bit of carnage, and that's the nature of this game, this sport, which is, uh, you know, it's a little iffy at times, isn't it? I said, isn't it? All right, 1-800-878-PLAY is the number to get in and get heard, 1-800-878-7529. <clears throat> we do have a uh, open segment at 11.25, we had a guest. She is rescheduling, but we will have Grant Fuhr, the Hall of Famer, at 11.40. Robert in Detroit said he used to go to Oakland Hills. He's an avid golfer. Check that out. And on the other side, we'll speak with uh, Tom Viola. We'll talk a little bit about the Prem. What's well, the Prem, then? It's the Premier League, isn't it? All right, I'm Rick Tittle. We'll take a quick break. Come on back on SportsBot.
5: Now, sports betting is the fastest growing industry in the world. To consistently cash tickets at the sports books, it's best to be armed with the right plays from the best sports bettors in the business. That's what you'll get at AgainstTheNumber.com. At AgainstTheNumber.com, you'll get specialists with decades of experience betting multiple sports at a high level and many sports specific packages from the nfl to college basketball to cricket to soccer to the european tour that gives you a consistent edge on the sports book for a highly skilled reasonably priced team of premium sports handicappers focused on one thing and one thing only beating the books at their own game Visit against the That's against the number.com.
9: Titillating Sports with Rick Tittle. Rick Tittle is a genius. The best show ever. He's so wonderful. Genius. The best show ever. He's so wonderful. Titillating Sports with Rick Tittle. Rick Tittle, is a he so handsome.
4: He's a genius. All right, thank you. Welcome back to the show. Rick Tittle with you, nationally syndicated out of San Francisco and around the world on the American Forces Radio Network. It's 11 12. That's the time we check in with one of the prognosticators at AgainstTheNumber.com. And they are... A highly skilled team of premium sports handicappers focused on one thing and one thing only, beating the sports books at their own game. They cover every sport worldwide, from the NFL to college basketball to soccer to cricket to tennis to European hockey, and all of them are proven winners. They offer full season, end of current season, one month, one week, one day, and one year specialist-specific packages. Their prices are reasonable, their tracking and distribution process is simple, and the results are real. Joining us once again is Tom Viola to talk about the Premier League. Tom, welcome back to the show. And, um, of course, it's all doom and gloom after two weeks for a couple of teams, even though there are 36 more games to go. But let's start off with Man United, who are uh, rock bottom of the table right now. No points in two games with a minus five. They were humiliated by Brentford. Uh, The new manager, Ten Hogg, said the day off is gone, we're going to work hard they don't know what they're going to do with cristiano ronaldo he's too old should we play him should we not what what is going on with that mess at old trafford right now
7: well uh the the, the nickname going around right now for eric ten hogg is eric ten weeks because at this rate he is not going to be there by christmas it's a disaster through two weeks but the problem for this man united team is the same thing as last year you you go into the season last year and you say oh We really need a number six. Let's sign Cristiano Ronaldo instead and just play hopes and prayers at the sixth spot. They have no, they have no defensive mid. They have a toxic locker room and their solution is consistently to just add more egos and add more toxic players who 10 hogs can't manage. This team at the current rate, it's not looking good at all for them. Obviously, The league won't let them stay in the relegation zone. You know that they have too much talent to be in a relegation fight for the year. They're not Everton, but I think that a bottom half of the table finish is maybe even best-case scenario for this Man U team. They are just above and beyond the pale of terrible, and I wouldn't be surprised if we see Ronaldo shipped out of there at the very least before the end of this window.
4: Uh, I, we know you're an Everton fan, and you mentioned them. Uh, what's interesting to me is that uh, I have a very good friend who's an Everton fan, and, and she's in Liverpool, and she actually likes Frank Lampard. And, and that, to me, is surprising because ever since he's come in, it's been chaos, and they stood up by the skin of their teeth. And so far this year, as we know, two games and uh, two losses. How Talk about 10 weeks. What do you think about Lamps sticking around?
7: Lamps is a little bit tougher of a call for me because part of the thing is it's not like he came into a great situation. The team wasn't riding high before he became manager. And so you do have to ask how much credit can you really give him for the reason that they stayed up by the skin of their teeth? I I don't know that he lasts the season. I don't know quite what's going to happen there, but I think that he isn't really being given a fair shake right now. You look at the players that they're bringing in I'm excited about some of the signings. I'm excited about Idrissa Gay coming back from PSG. Onana coming over is going to be interesting for that attack. But they, they need more attacking players. Right now you have, uh, you, you have Chelsea looking to take one of their few uh, good players left in Anthony Gordon. And you haven't brought in a replacement for Richarlison, who left for your team in Tottenham. Uh, you have to ask where the goals are supposed to come from from this team. And if they're not going to bring in a couple more attacking players before the end of the deadline, well, what's Lampard supposed to do? You need to score goals to win games, and right now they don't have the personnel to do that.
4: Deli Ali, um, when Tottenham signed up from MK Dons, hit the ground running, was uh, one of the first teams on the sheet for the three Lions, and we know in the last few years his career has gone downhill. Only 26 years old. Can't get a game for Everton, and now the rumors are he's off to Besiktas in in Turkey. What what do you think happened with Deli Ali at a place like Everton, where you would think they could really use a guy like that?
7: I I have no idea. When he came in, I thought it was the perfect kind of signing. You take a player who has had some success, who you've seen be able to hit some of those highs, and was hitting that lull. You got him a little bit on the cheap. It was a perfect chance for him to get a redemption story going. And I I, I simply don't know what's happened. I I expected him to be more creative, but instead, guys like Alex Awobi are getting player time over him. And full credit to awobi He was one of the heart and soul members of this team on that fight to stay up last year. I'm glad to see that he's been able to turn things around and at least make a bit of a redemption run. But I don't know why Deli Alley hasn't been able to.
4: Let's talk about um, Liverpool, too. A, a couple of draws, and for some teams, they'd be like, well, that's not a terrible start to the season. That's a horrible start for them, because Man City, two wins, they have two clean sheets, and they can laugh at Liverpool right now after a fortnight. W- what's going on with Klopp and company? Oh,
7: it's the title race for Liverpool is already over. It's week two, and quite frankly, I see Tottenham pushing for uh, pushing Man City more than more, uh, more than Liverpool is going to have a chance to this season. The problem for them is they're not as unbeatable as they used to be. Salah is another year older. I don't care that he was a, uh, the golden boot winner last year. Age will catch up to you eventually, and this season he's going to have a whole month off uh, where he's going to run out of form with the World Cup. I- I'm worried about the Liverpool attack. Losing Mane is a big deal, I think I've talked about it with you that Jota and Minamino need to step up in a way that Liverpool hasn't seen them do just yet. And the problem is the formula is there to beat this team now. You hunker down, you play defense against them, defend that attack, and then you wait and strike on the counter up the right side because their right back just doesn't exist. He, he He's never in position and you can burn him.
4: Yeah, it's very interesting. By the way, Tottenham just announced the after many rumors, they signed uh, from Udinese uh, the defender Destiny Udogi, who's going to go back on loan to Udinese <laughs> for the rest of the season, which I think is interesting. Um, getting back to um, the the Prem, when you see um, an, another team that I think that has high aspirations, which was a yo-yo team forever, but. Now West Ham thinks of themselves as a team that will fight for a place in Europe, somewhere in Europe. They have no goals after two games, and they have no points. What do you think about uh, the Irons?
7: I, I simply think that there isn't much to like about this Hammers team. Yeah, they had a good season last year, but where's the where's the consistency? Where's the ability to start taking that next step and saying we if we want to compete at this level, we need to – be upping our transfer game, be signing higher and higher quality players. You're just not really seeing it, and I think that's why they're not going to be able to do what Lester did for a while in staying up and fighting to be one of those traditional top-six teams. I think that they, they're they missing their window right now, and they're not being aggressive enough to bring in more talent and keep that level of play sustainable.
4: Yeah, and they went to the Olympic Stadium uh, leaving the bowl-in ground there, Upton Park, and, and Tottenham were so close to taking that stadium. I'm so glad that they didn't, and they, they held out <laughs> and and built their own. That's Tom Viola. Check him out at againstthenumber.com. Tom, thanks for coming on, man. We appreciate it.
7: Thanks so much for having
4: me. All right, I'm Rick Tittle. we got some open lines. Come on in at 1-800-878-PLAY.
2: That's 800-871-9417. Terms and conditions apply. Financing is available with approved credit. See openroadlending.com for details. If your loved one has passed away due to COVID-19, pay close attention to this message. You could be entitled to a death benefit of over $300,000. The U.S. government has set up a fund to pay families relief if they've lost a loved one due to COVID-19. We know this is a hard time for you, and this fund has been set up by the federal government to help ease your pain. The compensation includes a death benefit and lost wages benefit. Time is limited, so we urge you to make a free phone call right now. There's no cost to you for this claim. All legal fees are only covered once you receive your money.
1: Beats his servants.
4: Uh, I don't have servants. I would be nice to them if I did. one 800 play Coming up in the next segment, Grant Furial. So, <clears throat> in honor of Bill Russell, the NBA announced a couple days ago that they're retiring number 6 forever. And even before this news, nobody was going to wear number six for the Magic uh, or the Kings because they both had already retired it for the sixth man. That's right. The Orlando Magic and the Sacramento Kings had already retired the sixth man. Once again, brutal. But... Players wearing number six going into next season will be grandfathered in. I remember like Mo Vaughn wore 42, Mariano Rivera wore 42, and it was retired for Jackie Robinson. They were allowed to continue. But if it's not already retired, you take a look at the players who wore it who will never wear it again. Ever. Well, we'll bring that up another day because we have Vince in Lafayette. Go ahead, Vince.
26: Yeah, let me ask you a quick question. Is there any player currently playing or previously played, do you think they would retire their number, besides the one they just did? I mean, obviously he deserves it.
4: Anybody right now who they would retire for the entire league?
26: Right, or previously played, like Michael Jordan or something like that. Do you think Mm. there's anybody else that could... Be
4: that, or do you don't think that'll happen again? I, I, it's hard for me to think of someone right now that would be retired forever and ever. I don't know. Um, yeah, I mean, it'd be hard to believe that they would say no one can wear 30 again because of Steph Curry, or no one could wear number 23 because of Jordan. Um, I mean, maybe, but I can't think anybody.
26: Jordan would be one I would think of. Curry would be the only other one. I mean, there are, like, possibly, but, you know, Bill Russell is God. I mean, (laughs) let's face it. If you follow basketball, he was, you know, he was the Babe Ruth, I guess, of uh, basketball, I guess. He was, you know, but there are great players. I mean, I think Steph Curry is pretty damn close to it. I mean, he's, all the things he does off the court, besides on the court, I think he's pretty darn close. I mean, he's, to me, I think he's, makes him one of the greatest men of all time to play basketball just because of all the stuff he does. I mean I um, like he's a true guy because there's a lot of jerks out there who are superstars, but he's truly not like that. I mean he's super but I was gonna talk about a couple things. You're uh, one guess he had yesterday about dogs, it's uh, I mean I don't know if you heard but all the dog a lot of dogs are getting returned back because I guess people are going back to work. So it kinda of stinks I don't know if people could Return a dog after they adopt it. Or, or, and I guess the food prices are going up a lot. So, mm-hmm. but it's kind of sad. I, I got my dog from the pound in Pacheco about eight years ago. It was five years old. It was, you know, on death row because a lot of places like that, they kill them after a certain amount of time. So, but if you get a dog or a cat, you know, go for it. Pound is the best place because they have, you know, they kill a lot of the animals. So, but you're right about a lot of pet bulls being there. Mine's not a pet bull, but there are a lot of half pet Breed or whatever, a lot of those dogs are there because nobody likes them. So they're, you know, again, I'm too afraid to get one myself. I like, I just got a mutt. <laughs> but um, the other thing I was going to talk about is the sharks.
11: Mm-hmm. And if
26: um, it, the hockey news came out, the recent edition really praised uh, the sharks for the draft. They, they they thought he did a really good job. Um, they think his pickups weren't bad. I mean, none of them were big splashes because he doesn't have any money the spend, but for the limited cash he did, they they gave the GM a, like an A-plus so far. I don't know if you feel that way. And what do you think about the hiring of the coach? Now, you, you digested, you saw his interview, I assume, on, uh, on the Sharks' website. Do you have any plus plus or minus feelings or indifferent right now? Yeah, I
4: have. To, to me, there's, I don't know how you can praise. Uh, and look, I know that Greer has been put in a situation where he had to Cut a lot of fat, and there's going to be some rough times ahead. Um, I would give him right now a C minus because we don't know about we don't know about the picks, but I don't like the coach pick. I think that's a real snoozer. So I'm I'm I'll give him a chance, but right now I would say Mike Greer is not doing anything that great at all.
26: Well, the coach they got is the one they just got rid of. He's really good with young players and these young talent. He's not supposed to take you to the Cup final. But he's supposed to bring the club, and that's the type of coach you need right now. It's going to be, they're, they're going to need the next three or four years. It's going to be hard on the Sharks because they're really cap strapped, and a lot of the players aren't really performing and are locked in long term. You can't even trade them unless they let you. Yeah, he already let all the players know um, that if they want to get traded, they give up their no trade clause. he will uh, help them out to get traded, even if they have to eat some of the salary. So he let all the players know that. So it's probably going to be three more years, maybe more, before Sharks could really compete because all the salary cap, they have no absolutely zero money to spend. They're probably going to have to get rid of a player or two before the season starts just to get below the cap number and have a little breathing room. It's, mm-hmm. it, they're really in a bad situation. I think Tio Meyer is probably going to get traded, even though I hate about it, probably before the trade deadline. They'll probably get like two first rounds for him and, and a really good minor league player for him but they're gonna they just don't have the cap room to sign sign him right now they're just like really strict and you don't want to do like buyout guys if you do it just doubles the length of the time and you'll be there doing it forever it's better to eat it the next three or four years and then get free of his cap situation but i i think he he to me i think he was doing the right moves but again if you're a hockey uh you would realize that they don't have the talent. They really don't have the talent to compete for a playoff spot probably for a few years, but I think they're going the first time in the right direction. That that That's what I would mark sure. there. And the other quick question I know it's changed the subject really quick with baseball. I saw a couple of players played with the Yankees that uh, were in the minor leagues that came and played. One was a center fielder, one was the pitcher. Any good feelings about those two guys? I mean, was, they just got up, but what do you think? Uh, I think Stevenson's one of them. I'm
4: Stevenson Go ahead Stevenson hasn't impressed me in any way the The pitcher um, looks like he might be something I don't know the jury's out on those guys but uh, the guy that, that we really want to see and he's not going to get called up this year is Waldachek I don't know if you saw that the A's called up Shea Langoliers today and cut Steven Piscotti um, so that's going to be interesting to see what they do with Langoliers now
26: Yes well Scotty, I don't know if you know there's no way they're going to keep him he has a um, uh, uh, either they pay him next year, well, they cut him, so it doesn't matter, but they would have to pay him next year $14 million or $1 million buyout, and they were obviously going to do the $1 million buyout. Mm. And the other player is that shortstop that's supposed to get $15 million. Elvis bats. Yeah. There's no way he's going to get those bats. I mean, <laughs> they're not going to let him, because they're not going to pay $15 million. So those two players were gone for sure next year anyway. Now, they could still sign him back, but I don't think they will. I mean, the Scotty. I think we'll get a job somewhere. I mean, he's not going to get fourteen million. I mean, obviously, A's are going to pay him a million dollars, but I think he's a good five, six million dollar player. I mean, I am sure he'll, he'll
8: Piscot- get a job. Pescotti, Piscot- he he, he
4: can't hit, and he's always hurt, and he's over thirty. Yeah, I, I can't see anybody giving him a job, honestly.
26: E- even a few million. I mean, for
4: what to be hurt a- and to, to to hit? I mean, this year he's hitting one ninety, and he's thirty one years yeah, he's old.
26: Yeah, yeah I, I don't know why you want a
4: 31 year old who hits 190.
26: I wouldn't. I mean, I wouldn't do it for the A's. I'm just saying the A's have to move on. But um, I'm still hoping they're getting a the ballpark. I, I know you're thinking they're gone for sure. Mm. But the thing is, the other owners have to prove it. And the other owners are supposed to get like two billion dollars for a new Vegas team. I don't think they're going to let the A's move. I don't think the owners are going to be voting for that. They're, they're, they want that territory to go to a new team and, and collect the cash. So. I think the A's are going to be wind up staying in Oakland. I think they're going to get their stadium. Um, and I think it's a stupid location. If You know, Lakup could have bought the A's, and the commissioner just wouldn't let him have it. I mean, he was ready to put the money down to buy them before this, these owners have it right now. And he still has an offer on the club to buy it. And, you know, so I thought that was a joke, but no, he really wants to buy the A's. I wish they would sell it. And, and I don't know if you read about it, but he said he'd put the ballpark right where it is he just tear down and build a brand new... He says you don't have to do all the permits. It costs about $500 million. You could build a nice stadium there. You've got yeah. all Bart but the this there. This, is,
4: this got, is like finding out that the girl you had a crush on in high school loved you the whole time. And it's like, it, this doesn't really help us now. It just makes us all feel bad.
26: Yeah, but he can still sell the club to Jacob. I yeah. mean, that's, why, why that's would so why,
4: if you are a billionaire and you have a baseball team, why why would you sell it to some sassy guy who says, "Let me do it right," because you are ruining it? There is a lot of pride involved with these rich guys. They'll ne- if he sells it, which he won't, the last person he would sell it to is a guy like Lacob saying, "Let me fix what you broke."
26: Why not? I mean, because they have the pride.
4: They, these guys are they're they're they're, they're freaks. They're billionaires.
26: Yeah, I don't. I never met a billionaire. I mean, <laughs> I never. Probably will. I mean, I had. I mean, millionaires are not hard to find anymore because it, the housing prices are so high. Just about everybody in the Bay Area is a millionaire. I mean, even a house in Oakland now is yeah. getting uh, to be a millionaire. Yeah, I ain't so one. So everybody's a millionaire. Yeah. <laughs> so, so you get a house like in East Oakland. You know that that was so outrageous. It went from a two bedroom, one bath house is about six hundred thousand now in East Oakland, and that's like the, the worst part of Oakland. I, I mean, know that's like, where
4: that's where my dad is from. No, I know. Hey, listen Vince, thanks for the call man. I got to run to a break, all right?
26: Yeah, I love your calls, you know, your your thing, but I I felt sorry for that cuz dog but if anybody out there please adopt a dog at the pound. Um they need you guys. I mean like you said they come running to you all the time. So all right.
4: All right, thanks Vince. Grant Fear on the other side. We'll see you in a second.
23: bone, and Algae Cal Plus contains all of them, and it's proudly made in the USA. Your calcium doesn't increase bone density, Algae Cal Plus does. Talk to one of our bone health consultants today and see how Algae Cal Plus can start increasing your bone density. Call now.
2: 800-437-8217, 800-437-8217, 800-437-8217. That's 800-437-8217. It doesn't really matter. I, uh, I don't like my job, and uh, I don't think I'm going to go anymore.
1: Rick Tittle thinks there's a direct correlation between dogs and lightning.
4: All right. Thank you for that. Welcome back to the show. Rick Tittle with you coast to coast and around the world on the American Forces Radio Network. It's our pleasure to welcome to the show Hockey Hall of Famer Grant Fuhr, who has uh, five Stanley Cups, and his teammate Wayne Gretzky called him the greatest goalie in the history of the NHL. He's here to talk about uh, three ice and um, Grant, welcome to the show. I was speaking with Joe Mullen yesterday, and his team's on top of the world. They scored ninety nine goals. Team Führer, uh, we look at the numbers. Not a great year. Was it a? Was it a? Can we call it a rebuilding year? What What happened with Team Fuhrer?
15: uh You know what? We get off to a good start, and then the wheels kind of came off. So it, we found ways to lose games. I think that was the biggest thing. Is we were in every game. It's just a matter of we give up a soft goal or we, a bad turnover. And it just ended up, we'd end up losing by one or two. And unfortunately, you don't win hockey games that way.
4: Yeah, you had one of the best defenses in the league. It just couldn't score any goals. Was that, what, what do you think that was down to?
15: Uh, you know what, we weren't very opportunistic with our chances. I think that was the biggest thing is that we had a lot of chances, but just never capitalized on them. I think that was the biggest thing is for all the opportunities we had, we just couldn't get the puck in the net.
4: How do you coach that style when guys are basically, I don't want to say line changes, but they're coming in and out as they see fit? I mean, to me it seems almost like like chaos at times and how you can coach something like that.
15: Well, you know what? The small roster helps. I think that's the biggest thing with a small roster is it's not real hard to coach. You've only got a couple of lines, and with a couple of lines it's easy – (laughs) <laughs> to Trying to find the chemistry to score. Mm-hmm. I mean defensively we weren't bad. But if you can't get the puck in the net, then obviously you're going to end up losing. You
4: know, I think it would be interesting like if like your goalie Ryan Zapolsky like if Grant Fuhr tells me, you know, hey, you got to come out on your near post a little bit more. I mean, that's <laughs> that's that's like uh, hockey royalty coaching, but I mean, a lot of times great players in in every sport it, it's hard to coach because these guys can't do what you did, so how do you coach, knowing that stuff?
15: Uh, you have to go with the skill set that you have for players. I think that's the biggest thing. Is everybody brings a skill set? You have to figure out what their best options are and what they do best, and work with that.
4: When you think about the competitive juices flowing for something like this, once you got going, was it? Did did you forget it was a a different league than the NHL? I mean, was it just you looking across at the bench and? all these Hall of Fame coaches, I mean, how much was your competitive fire in this?
15: Well, I think as coaches, we still enjoy the competitiveness more than anything. And the fact that each week, guys got more and more competitive. You could see the level of hockey going up. It was fun to be a part of that.
4: By the way, the the Patty or the Patrick Cup championship is going to be coming up here this weekend in Vegas on national TV, CBS, and I know the pandemic kind of set this back. We we talked to you or I talked to you like two years ago and the pandemic kind of put this to a uh, a halt. How great is it that we actually got the season under our belts and that this is going to be on national TV?
15: No, I think that part's awesome. I mean, I I know everybody's excited about it. I'm headed to Vegas here either late Thursday night or Friday, so we're going to take it all in and enjoy it and the winners are going to be awfully excited.
4: And how about the golden helmet? It seemed like it was either Team Mullen or Team McClare every week, because it was, but that's just kind of a cool thing, almost like the Tour de France where you get to wear the helmet, right?
15: Oh, it is. I mean, I, there was probably seven or eight guys that had a chance to wear it all year, and it came down to who happened to finish the best. And there's, We've had a couple of guys in the league that have been consistently good goal scorers, and I think that's what it comes down to is who's consistently the best goal scorer
4: no doubt and you know when i think about all the assists that you had as a goalie how many of them were you just dumping it to a blue liner but how many of them were a pinpoint beautiful pass that released somebody (laughs) into the offensive zone
15: i think more of it's kicking rebounds into the right spot Mm i mean we had an offensively based team so it's learning what guys do best again and trying to direct pucks into the right areas, and we eventually got good at it.
4: When you finally, I mean, look, everyone's going to remember you as an oiler, and of course you put on sweaters for different teams, but when you went to the Maple Leafs uh, in the, the Damfoos trade, was, what was that like for you? Were you kind of ready for it, or was it complete shock?
15: Um, once they traded Gress, we all knew we were going somewhere. Mm-hmm. I think that's the biggest thing, because we all knew we were going to move. It was just a matter of when and where.
4: I remember uh, Jamie Baker telling me, you know, he loved playing for the Sharks, but when he put on a Maple Leafs jersey, he couldn't believe he was putting on an original six jersey. Did did you kind of feel that when you put that, that jersey on?
15: Yeah. I mean, growing up as a little kid, I was a Leaf fan, so if I couldn't play in Edmonton, then the second best option was Toronto. So I quite enjoyed that.
4: Do you have to pay for a meal in Edmonton? I mean when you when you show up there, do people bow down?
15: Oh, I wouldn't say they bow down, but we get looked after pretty well still. So it's still fun to go home.
4: <laughs> I like that. You get looked after. They take care of you, don't they, Grant?
15: <laughs> they definitely do.
4: <laughs> Couple more questions for Grant Fuhrer for three ice. You know, I remember during the uh the lockout that um, perhaps that maybe they were gonna bow out the, the pipes in the nets they were experimenting with how can we get higher scoring games There were all sorts of things they were screwing around with. But as for you playing goalie, how much of is how much of it has it changed since you were doing it in the 80s and how much of it is it just exactly the same now?
15: I think playing goal is the same. I mean your job is to still keep the puck out. And the fact that it's gone back to more of an offensive system, I think leans back to more of the, to the way it was in the 80s. So I don't think a whole lot's changed that way. It's just the goalies are bigger, better-trained athletes now.
4: Would you ever consider being one of those old-time guys with no mask?
15: No, I tried it once in a practice, and it really didn't excite me that much. <laughs> so I know I know I've got some friends that were some of the older guys that played, and talking to them doesn't really sound like a lot of fun
4: <laughs> no it doesn't what's the worst you ever got nailed because i know sometimes it could get you in the neck right
15: Uh the neck's the worst place neck or the cup those are your, those are your two most unfavorite places
4: <laughs> and then when it, you know we also since the lockout uh, many years ago we don't have goons and brawls like we used to but did you ever really, you know, like some, maybe some guy giving you a a, sh- uh, a snow shower or just you know throwing in an extra blade on your on your shins? Did you ever really just get to a boiling point where you wanted to rip somebody's head off?
15: No, because if you could smile at them and laugh at them, then it would bother them more than it would bother you. So, a lot of it's just a mindset and have some fun with it. Mm-hmm. What
4: was that when you were uh, coaching? Uh, Two, what was it with the Yotes? I mean, did did you kind of say the same thing, like just laugh at them?
15: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, coaching is a little bit different because you can coach and teach right up until the game starts. And once the game starts, it's out of your control. And that's the biggest difference between coaching and playing is you have to realize that you have to be able to let it go once the game starts.
4: You know, I think about all those All-Star games you went to basically just about every year in the in the 80s, and they have experimented, and i worked on the TV broadcast, a couple of those All-Star games, where they'd mic up the players, or they'd say, okay, North America versus Europe, or the world versus Canada, um, they, and they still kind of experiment with it as well with some of the skills competitions. Do you have a preferred way for the All-Star game, or are you open to kind of switching it around every year?
15: You know what? I want it to be competitive. I mean, I think it's gotten to the point of being sort of an exhibition, and it's people are losing interest in it. So it's got to be a little more competitive. How they do that, I, I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, it definitely has to be more competitive.
4: Right. When I, you know, if if you would ask me how many Vezinas you have, I'd probably say, oh, he's probably got about four or five. And you do have one. Was that? Did, did you sort of feel like that you got a little, you know, was that maybe you didn't get the respect you deserved because your team was so stacked?
15: Uh, not so much that. We played an offensive style, so the numbers were going to never be pretty. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times people look at numbers, whereas all we worried about was whether we were winning or not. I think that was the biggest thing.
4: And when you came in, what was it, Andy Moog, Bill Ranford? Was it, those were, the years, were those the guys behind you?
15: I had Andy my first, what, five or six years, and then Billy after that. So I've always been blessed with good partners.
4: What was the one game that you can, I'm sure you can remember, where maybe your head wasn't in, and nobody's batting a thousand? Maybe you give up five goals in the first period and you get yanked. How many times did you get yanked early?
15: Not very often early. (laughs) I mean, maybe half a dozen. Mm
4: -hmm. But
15: there are nights, there's definitely nights where you're not very good.
4: Can you remember one night where you just stunk and for no reason you just, you just you your head was in the clouds or whatever it was?
15: Yeah, we had one of those nights in Hartford where we weren't very good. Where I think we got beat eleven nothing and I think both Andy and I both had a tough night. So it's just one of those things. And
4: then also the Canada Cup, I think about how tough those games were Uh, at the time and playing against the Soviet Union and everything and and, uh, I kind of wish they still had that but what was it like back in the day because the Canada Cup was pretty huge at the time
15: it was but it, it was awesome playing in those I mean I think the biggest thing that people don't realize is that you're playing against the best in the world and that's what you want you want to be able to compete against the best in the world and when you get that opportunity then that's the fun of it all I mean, at that time, the Soviets were the best in the world, and we got a chance to play against them with our best. So that's the fun part of it.
4: Okay, so for 3 ice, as I mentioned, you're on the your way to Vegas for the uh, the semis and the and the final. Are you already thinking about next year for, for Team Fuhrer, or are you just kind of uh, you get a little off-season here?
15: No, we're already starting to gear for next year. I think we're, we'll change the style of the way the team plays, maybe make a few different additions, but, no, it's always, it's always going to be about winning. So when the season's over and it doesn't go the way you want, then you want to rebuild and go in a different direction.
4: How much control do you have over the, the personnel with that, or do you just kind of show up and, like, here's your team?
15: No, we actually get to draft the team. Mm-hmm. So I think that was the biggest thing is we get a chance to draft the team. And when you get to do that, then you can rebuild every year if you want.
4: The Push for the Patty, the Patrick Cup Championship in Three Ice, Las Vegas, and uh, check it out Saturday live on national TV on CBS. Grant Fuhrer is with us, one of the coaches in Three Ice, and of course, as I mentioned, one of the greats between the pipes and the Hall of Famer. Grant, thanks for your time, man, and uh, have a good time in uh, Vegas.
15: Thank you, and thanks to all the troops.
4: All right, good stuff. I'm Rick Tuttle. We'll take a break and come on back on Byline.
2: as Gotch brings it in, Sharks get it out, here's a breakaway, Patrick Marleau, SCORE!
1: cares about anything else when you've got rick tittle on the radio
4: oh thank you for that and congratulations esmeralda you are the caller of the day and you have one from upper deck the american hockey league 2021 2022 box set collect at least one autograph card per box there are 10 cards per pack there are 12 packs Per box, this is approved by the PHPA as well. Once again, the AHL, American Hockey League, 2021-2022 box set from upper deck. You can build all three insert sets, AHL All-Rookie Team, AHL All-Stars, and AHL Captains as well. Very cool. Does it get better than upper deck? The answer is no. Um, Grant Fuhrer, by the way, you talk about a trailblazer in that sport first ever black all star first ever black hall of famer um, he had a um, a black father and a white mother and put him up for adoption and they were he they were adopted he was adopted by the Fuhrer family and then was <clears throat> uh, raised by them His mother was also part uh, Cree uh, as well and so you can also say um Native American, or as they say, First Nations uh, up in uh, Canada. But, um, yeah, when I was in um, college and beyond, the, the Oilers were it. And remember, if you take Wayne Gretzky's goals away, he's still the all-time point leader in the NHL history with his assists. <laughs> there's, there are great hockey players, and then there's a reason why we call Wayne Gretzky the great one because he was not just better than everyone else who ever played, he was ridiculously better than everyone else who ever played. And there have been some great, great goal scorers, the Yammer Yagers and the Alex Ovechkins and, and others, but there's nothing like him. And that Edmonton team was just stacked. All right, I'm Rick Tittle. Thanks for tuning in. We'll do it tomorrow at 9 a.m. Pacific time.